0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and this is another episode of Galani and Chill. This week, we will be talking about the filmography of a certain Paul Verhoeven, or Verhoeven, however you want to pronounce it. I'm here with Devin Kopeck and Stephen o'tigre
1: Polly Veals, baby!
0: Paulie V. <laughs> I'm just going to say it's, it's a really strong... It's a, it's a strong direction to go in by guessing what the director's name is for the show. What do you mean by that? You're I like, know uh, maybe. It. Maybe it's Verhoeven, Viver, I think, I Viver. There's more than one pronunciation. Oh, that's not how names work. Well, that's how his name works. I mean, if I you think, think about it, words it are just
1: literally just things. It's just a concept <laughs> that man made up.
0: Do you, remember, you guys ever see that video William DeFell, DeFell. William Defel.
1: DeFell. You're just making up people's names. You're you. My goodness.
0: William Defoe when he was really young, he was in this acting studio, <laughs> and he called himself William Daffo. <laughs> like, he said it. <laughs> <laughs> it was I was like Stephen Colbert and he's like, so what is it, man? Is it Defoe or Dafoe? And he's like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, yeah, I think
0: he said he said the family Yeah, right? That's Colbert, mm-hmm. Colbert. Colbert, Colbert. Paul Vier. Ver I think it's Verhoeven. Verhoeven Like it's it's pronounced how you spell, how you, how you spell it. But I've, I've heard it like in documentaries. People call him Verhoeven. Verhoeven. I've heard that Verhoeven. too. That doesn't Let's sound see. right. I went on how to pronounce. Let's see. Verhoeven. It's Verhoeven. Officially. Yeah. Okay. Paul well, Verhoeven. Paul the Verhoeven. The Paul Verhoeven. Robocop <laughs> Verhoeven.
1: Sonic the Hedgehog. Paul the Verhoeven. <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, I, I watch a good deal of movies here. This is like one two three four let's see five six seven eight. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a lot. That's oh, a lot. Three, eight, 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 eight. Fourteen. <laughs> Yo, what is too many movies?
1: Is that too many?
0: That's too many. Like, yeah, okay. I, I don't
1: think we knew how many movies were in the Paul Verhoeven catalog. I couldn't. I didn't even find
0: three of them. I couldn't find them. So there's seventeen. That's
1: too. I many. mean, yeah. Okay, so let's let's take a, let's take a like a critical eye. What should be? When did he start?
0: He first film was in nineteen seventy three.
1: Nineteen seventy three. Okay, yeah. So we're saying from the seventies to now. And his what, last what, film was how many, twenty twenty one. How many movies should you have under your belt <laughs> in that many decades?
0: I mean, you look at Akira Kurosawa. I I watched. I watched 15 Akira Kurosawa movies. That was half. It's half. <laughs> 30 32 movies that he's made. Um but I guess it's Akira Kurosawa like he's prolific. <laughs> he's a great director so it's like it's not that bad but it, you know these movies <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know actually I think it's the epitome of a mixed bag all of these movies. I don't think there's a single director that has hit and miss this much for me that I really like um, quite a bit. So that's interesting, you know? Um, yeah. And it kind of seems like, I mean, l- let me ask you this and when we could dive deeper once we get there, but were there any surprises? Yeah. yeah were there any ones where you're like, Oh, this is like really good or it was actually not pretty nearly as good as you thought. Pretty recent movie that he's made that was, I thought it was really good. I didn't expect mm. it to be good either because there's like the one movie I watched before it. There are two movies I watched before it I was not a fan of. And was it
1: Robocop Deleted scenes?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there is, I found out, um, there's a Robo uh, Cop documentary coming out called Robodoc. Uh, uh it's six hours long. It's coming out next uh, month.
1: That's too long.
0: I'm gonna watch every fucking minute of that. Um, I mean, like, I love it, but that's too long, man. I mean, if you go on this on the Wikipedia page for RoboCop, for Total Recall, and for Starship Troopers, it's just so much. There's so much fucking shit going on in in all of those movies. Like, production was a mess in every. It seems like every one of his movies, but like, it's prolifically bad in those movies. Uh, and it's fascinating to me. Fascinating.
1: I'm destroyed that that is called Living Doc or uh, Robo Doc. Were <laughs> you destroyed by that? Because <laughs> that, you're just taking away from, you know, how we have a RoboCop, Why don't we have a Robot Doctor movie? Why don't we just have like, a <laughs> whole, like,
0: series? Robo- Nobody jumped on it yet. And so it was, it was free. It was open. Nobody's making Robo Doc. They ha- we have Dr. Giggles already, Steve.
1: <laughs> That's not a robot. That's just a car. I forgot how in love you are with Dr. Giggles. You
0: remember that scene in Dr. Giggles where he, the guy gets a message from Dr. Giggles and he goes into his, his passage machine and he's like, hello, this is Daniel, I'm here, your appointment is coming up, and I'm right behind you. And he was right behind him in his house! <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: was the first...
1: Look at him, he's Dr. Giggling! Oh man, he got you, dude! <laughs> like, he made he a call hours ago <laughs> saying he's gonna be in the guy's house.
0: We <laughs> waited for him to get home.
1: I am. I'm like kind of shocked. Like, why have we never gotten a Doctor Giggles versus Darkman? I mean, <coughs> you're they, they literally are the same people from Darkman. I don't, think, Dark I don't Man. think Darkman has a sh- has a shot. No, Darkman already beat him.
0: You know, Dr. Ah. Giggles sewed himself inside of a woman to be born again. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Dark Man's got anything on him. Dark Man
1: would see that and be like, yeah, this is Dark too Man much. has a little tiny puppet version of himself in his head that helps him break arms when he loses carnival games. <laughs> ah, that scene is is lovely.
0: He that can was... also replicate Dr. Giggle's voice. Yeah, he can, that's true. He and his face too. He's done it before. Mm-hmm. Two Dr. He has that Giggles. face
1: on profile already. <laughs>
0: God, two Doctor Giggles? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> That's too, too much. much here, dude. It's double, double giggles. <laughs> <sighs> Doctor uh, Gaggles. I, you before know. we get
0: into various giggles and and RoboCop films, um, I would like to talk about the newer stuff that came out, movie wise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: some trailers before we before we jump in. Um, so Devin and I actually saw a movie, a new movie. Mm-hmm. We did uh, saw it. Yep. Oh, boy. Here, he comes. Did. Saw Here it. comes the puns. Here
1: they come. Oh, it was uh, X-rated, I would say. I
0: cranked one out to Kramer.
1: That's oh, not, I don't <laughs> think that's got any wordplay in it.
0: <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. Uh, so we saw Saw 10 or Saw X, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, it is officially the 10th Saw movie, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, Probably Wait no but that long I think uh <laughs> I think you're because this was a discussion we had it's not like there's like a saw nine right this is no, counting no. spiral saw this is counting spiral so yeah. this is this is like officially the tenth movie in the saw verse that's fine I uh, mean yeah. it, it's it's partially because like most of the Saul movies, anyway, there's so many so much jumping around time wise that Oof. it doesn't matter, like sequel, yeah. prequel, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, Devin said it when we watched the movie that sometimes it's even the twist of the film that it's not in present day, you know. Yeah, the twist is like where it takes place in the Saul franchise, point. is a point. bad twist. It's a bad way to twist everything. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of lazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is... um, Saw X is... We've hit that point in the franchise where they try to make you root for the villain of the movie. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think John Kramer is somewhat sympathetic, or at least they try to make him sympathetic in this, because... The plot is uh, Mr. Kramer goes to... Uh, oh, Mr. Kramer? I didn't know I you that. I want to call such, Yeah, he deserves such, it. Held him in such high esteem. Um, Mr. Kramer uh, finds out about a, an illegal uh, advanced surgery technique to uh, <laughs> deal with cancer. And he ends up uh, following up on a lead, in which leads him to a group of surgeons acting out of... What was it? Mexico? Where are they doing it? They were they were in Norway, I think, for a while, Oslo, and then and then they were in Mexico. They have to move around because the the surgery that they perform is so not, I guess, doctor friendly that they have to keep moving. Yeah. You know, Um, those groups of doctors that kill other doctors that try to perform surgery. That's a big problem. And they have to stop them. So they have to keep moving around the world. I mean,
1: (laughs) Dr. Giggles uh, yeah, Dr. Giggles left it. He's like, you don't, I, <laughs> he called yeah. him and was waiting for them in Norway. and They, they <laughs> never left, showed up. Aww. He left a
0: message on their machine waiting for them to come home to play it so you'd be behind them and make this and big man. joke. Uh, no, that didn't happen. No giggles in this. No giggles at all. <laughs> and um, it wasn't funny. No Saw movie's really funny, to be honest. Yeah, I don't. There wasn't really any... Jo- I mean, not that we, we expected that there'd be, but... You know, there is that, that <laughs> joke you posted, Steve, with John Kramer. This is how John Kramer stands up in the first song. Oh, <laughs> I <did> this, dude.
1: <laughs> I dude.
0: Because it, it's funny. I watch that now, and I'm like, he's still a downward-facing dog. like 100%.
1: He's
0: stretching. He's doing, like, a little... Like, his butt's out and everything. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean... He was lay there for a while, dude. way nowhere was
0: comfortable, yeah. I get it, but it, you know, <laughs> the position he gets up in is not very intimidating. <laughs> it's like his his bare ass is not his bare That's ass. That's some but, shit. You know what? I'll, not to like completely derail, but that is some shit that like that is what I love about Gen Z. Is we'll be like, yo, this is so scary, and they're like, why is he sitting up? And you're like, you just killed it, you killed the whole thing, and now I'm thinking about it. You know, it's like it's like when you show, I guess, like when Parrot showed our, like us things, we're like, that suit's fake, yeah, you know, that's a rubber suit, and they're like, why is he sitting up with his ass out? And you're like, ah, I don't know, that's just how we did it. Then I don't know, I don't have to tell you, man. Um, there is, I don't think there's any seductive. Movements from John Kramer in this one, though. No, Which, uh, no, he's he's sucking down a lot of blood. Nearly, the- <laughs> yeah, Oh man, that scene yeah. is so stupid. <laughs> oh my god, Steve. There's a character that literally goes, "It's not waterboarding; it's bloodboarding." <laughs> he's getting blood oh, poured over his face. Somebody had to point that out to the <laughs> oh, audience. No. Like I didn't get that already. I didn't. Know that what was happening, I had to have somebody explain it to me. Um, I'm
1: honestly, Well, to be fair, they didn't even use a, a like a, a bag, they just no,
0: yeah, no towel sure. or anything. I guess technically it wasn't even. So, boring. wait,
1: were they just like pouring blood on someone, <sighs> basically? Yeah. So,
0: there was one that's, of just his a,
1: traps. that's just a blood rave. That's
0: just it's, a... Well, it's 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 positioned there's like a big nozzle that's over your head, basically, blood like rape. it's like in um. <laughs> It's like in on on in uh, Nickelodeon when they, you get slimed.
1: Uh-huh. Right? They got the big and, tube.
0: Yeah, you got a big tube above your head, and it's just blood squirting into your face, and you're tied down. You can't move.
1: Okay, you're tied down.
0: But the whole point is it's like a seesaw, so you can save the other person that's connected to it because they're also getting on the other side. If their side goes down, the blood starts pouring on them. Yeah. So you, got, you can control it like a little lever. And you'd be like, oh, I could save that person. But it's just people getting (laughs) blood on their face back and forth. You know, like a little seesaw. Um, It didn't really matter much in the overall plot of the
1: movie. Finally got the titular seesaw and Saw. Oh, my (laughs) God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you
0: know what? Um, I don't think this was John Kramer's strongest outing when it came to traps. But those last two were pretty weak. Like yeah. aggressively weak. The last two were weak. I, I liked the first one, the the very mm-hmm. first one with the oh, yeah. The Where he's being a big old creep, the creepo <laughs> one. Yeah, that one's great. mean, <laughs> because like Steve, you have to. I mean, Steve, you, you're probably gonna watch this, but it doesn't matter. I will spoil it. it. It's a mm. stupid plot, bro. You're fine, you're um,
1: I'll forget it. I guarantee you, I for, I will forget <laughs> it when I see it. They I, will I, all blur together like the Fast and the Furious movies. Forget, I forgot it after I saw it.
0: Um. There is a scene in which uh, John, Mr. Kramer is in uh, the hospital and he sees an orderly stealing from a man in a room who's, who's in a coma. And he has this hallucination dream sequence of what he would do to the orderly. And uh, that's time to a chair and put vacuums on his eyeballs.
1: <laughs> Wait, it's a dream sequence?
0: So yeah, like there's Yeah, it's like it's like he sees him stealing, right? And then the <laughs> smash cut to this guy like in the contraption. Yeah, and he's like, I want to play a game. You like to steal things. How about I steal your eyeballs? Yeah, or something like really, that. Yeah. And then yeah, so he has to turn this knob that snaps one of his fingers on his other hand. Um and then he has to do all five of his fingers within 60 seconds, or the suction on his eyeballs suck out his eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. So the scene plays out, and then you realize, oh, it was just like a fa- a, a fantasy he was having. Um, because he's still in the hospital room, and then I think it was Devin. We both had like a little riff on that team where I was like, He's got a huge boner right now, <laughs> yeah. And then Devin and like- was like, He's probably looking at him like, You know, what, I just I really want to put you in a chair. <laughs> so yeah, because because like away. the scene the scene goes and like he sees that John Kramer's looking at him, Mr. Kramer. Mm. Uh, and then he puts it away and then Kramer goes to him and he goes, "Good choice." But like, I was like, "Yeah, what if he he's like, oh, I, was gonna, 'I was gonna suck out your eyeballs.' <laughs> he's, it's he's like, what? the beepers f- out your head, my like, guy. Like, what <laughs> the fuck are you doing, you weirdo? He's like, oh, "I was just, I'm sorry, just say, just suck your eyeballs out. <laughs> I was just
1: slurp out." It's like slurp this bad boy so like, out. Isn't, isn't like John Kramer's whole thing that like he got tricked a bunch of times and he was like, That's it, I'm going, I'm going nuts, I'm well, doing I'm doing tricks. Yeah, I mean it's pretty much kind of. Yeah,
0: that there's this movie,
1: so he's he's in Basically
0: movie. it's a it's a movie about people breaking or like all of them, really,
1: about I just, people. I don't understand trust. how like you can be so like kind of gullible, yet so kind of like Figure out all the pieces of, like, a puzzle for, like, setting up elaborate, like, Rube Goldberg like gas machines? Well,
0: you know, it's, like,
1: street smarts, I guess. No, I think that's it's not smart. street smarts. They don't teach <laughs> that in the streets. I think it's no, fair I to yeah.
0: assume that, I would assume that John Kramer has some form of autism. Like, he is definitely on the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, he don't just do that shit, man. (laughs) Not just the murders. Like, the way he interacts with people. Like, he doesn't really have emotions. I don't think he knows how to read people very well. Yeah. Um, It's always, like, scenarios where they fuck him over because he gave them, blindly gave them his trust. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, to be fair, like, the grift is somewhat of a strong grift. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a lot of elements to. A lot of Yeah, like he, he runs into a guy he was at like a cancer support group in who's like much better, like much healthier looking and he goes, "Hey, I just, you know, you look a lot better." And he's like, "Yeah, I, I was I took this crazy uh, you know, medical procedure and and I had to go to Norway to get it done and this is the name of the of the doctor and uh, you know, John Kramer goes on the internet. And looks it up, and then uh, you know, insert grift here. Like the doctor calls him, "Oh yeah, no, we can fit you in." Yada yada yada. Goes to Mexico, gets the, and befriends uh, the, the the young girl Gabri- Gabriela, befriends a child. Fixes his bike. Um, and this is also this isn't like he hasn't done murder stuff. Like he's he's this is like what post Saul 1 and 2, I
1: think. Oh, so like he's still he's still getting suckered. Yeah, basically
0: yeah. he's still as gullible as he was in Saul 1 or Saul 2 as well. Um and he <laughs> That's hasn't why learned he made him
1: do that doggy <laughs> down face.
0: He, he gets fucked all the time. That's why
1: <laughs> yes. he, was like, he was like, "I was trying to leave the room, but I slipped on some blood and hit my head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I conked myself." That would have been like, a lot
0: better if it was all accidental. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know he goes and he he realizes because they 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 put him under, but he has this like you have to be awake because we're doing brain surgery on you.
1: So he basically just fell for internet scam. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm they do,
0: they go in and they do the surgery and they're like, here's your your levels. Your hemoglobin levels are... are we what, stole half the- of
1: your brain. <laughs> <laughs> <They're>, you know, <laughs> he's
0: like, they're back to normal. And they make a point where John Kramer goes, doctor, I'll wire you the rest of the money today. She's like, oh, thank you, John. You're so, you're so well. Thank you, John. You're so nice. And then he, I guess, uses his, his intelligence... To I guess look at the map to figure out where he was. Yes, because he, he, he's like, yeah, he's looking at he some does power a little, lines or a something. little diagram, and it figures out that from there's like a, a watchtower or a uh, cell phone tower from where he is, and he figures out where the hospital is in relation yeah. to the tower,
1: and he just goes to like surprise them with like a thank you bottle of
0: like tequila. Do you remember and there it, being like an inciting moment where he decided to do that? Like, was there anything that tipped him off? I can't remember what with the like why he wanted to go back yeah like was there something he wanted to that he wanted to give the Gabriel, gabriella the, the tequila right. bottle because before his surgery she's like oh this is for good it was luck. innocuous it was a gift that he was yeah he just out. wanted to be nice because he's also there's also a moment where after he's quote-unquote cured uh he's drawing another he like saw nightmare contraption and he rips it out he's like this is stupid and he's like, kind. I guess they're assuming he's rethinking his whole life. Yeah, he's performing, um, you know. Yeah, and, and then, then um, um, it doesn't last, and he goes in and he realizes the whole thing. And it's just funny because they do brain, Steve. They do brain surgery on him, and they're like, keep the bandage on for like three days because it's you know it's you know, antiseptic or whatever. Uh then when he real when he starts being concerned when he goes in and like there's none of the like it's kind of an abandoned place he takes the thing off and he realizes they didn't do a damn thing to <laughs> oh,
1: no they, like they shaved, didn't even <laughs>
0: did they shave like a big patch that's it like yeah but I don't mat. think you can tell when he takes it off yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, so. Yeah. Like they didn't cut into his head at all, and he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm so bad." And then they
1: dang fooled me again. But, the, yeah, but he stomps his
0: feet and he just throws his hands down and everything. God yeah. damn it! But
2: like, <laughs> they did it again. <laughs> That's always That's right. This is the third fucking time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, and oh, like, then like at this point, you are uh, you're you're supposed to be like, "I'm Team Jigsaw." I hope he kills these bad boys who grifted him. Uh, and then he just captures all of them. And then I guess it's not like we're, we're all expecting a, a massive budget for these movies. But then the rest of the movie takes place in a shitty warehouse where he just yeah. is like, hey, you're all chained up. And uh, you're all just going to have to deal with my saw shit. And so, they, interesting th- things, they you know, they bring back uh, Shawnee Smith. Who was the the woman in the reverse bear trap in the first movie who ends up being his like acolyte? And, um, for Luke and Bradshaw, Steve, like those (laughs) two. I love them. And, um, she's wearing the worst wig I think I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad in cinema in a long time. Like it is impressively bad. I'd say rivals the, uh, End of the first Venom movie, Carnage. Oh, yeah. That one. You know, it's like that level of that. You know? <laughs> that one's bad. Um, yeah. So, uh, production design, not... Not 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 focused on wigs. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> they are focused on people ripping their legs off and stuff. Um, and that happens, you know? It's it's a Saw movie, you know, down to the bones. That's one thing I will say. Um, it, it definitely has all the elements of a saw movie it's 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 an actual film too like i find i think like from saw 4 on they're barely movies they're like recaps they're like mm-hmm. on those episodes of anime where it's just all recap and there's about 40 minutes of actual new plot um this was a movie you know this was an actual three act film so there's something to be said about that but I think that's the end of the positives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like some of the kills are pretty good. Like, yeah, kills are good. You know, they get you to the point where you're like cringing. You know, I, I, I was like putting my hat, my hood up, and I was like, oh my god, it's just the worst. Quiet. You know, which is effective for few, yeah. about two acts. You know, really it's solid. What you want. Yeah, it's what you want. But then I think the third act is really a mess, and it's silly that John Kramer is trying to con the people he conned, even though he's such a, a fool, such a And he already fool. has them like in chains, but he's like, yeah, it, it's like I tricked you, but then you tricking me was actually me tricking you because I of let course. you trick me. It's all it part, of the, of, movie, Steve. All part yeah. of the plan. All part of the plan. And it's very, that explanation and the follow through of it is very sloppy and yeah. not well thought out. Um, But you get the end where the the truly bad people get it, the worst. And John Kramer rides off into the sunset with a child. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and he gives them all of this money. He gives them like $500,000 or something like that. It's like some insane amount of money. All the money Um, that they've been stealing from sick people, basically. Yeah. They give it to this kid. Yeah. But I guess there's an interesting part where in this spoiler, this is spoiler. This is some spoiler shit so it you know skip ahead 30 seconds but the main evil lady survives by passing her test uh and I do feel like they are building that up to potentially be like a new trilogy of movies where this woman is trying to chase you know it's like Jigsaw's new villain which is this horrible woman who is just like I'll get you John Kramer you tried to give me poisonous gas, and I'm gonna f- fucking kill you. And uh, I don't know. She's evil enough. She's despicable enough that I I don't I wouldn't mind seeing her again. I guess the, the Soul movies don't work like that, though. You know, like no, but like there's a, there's been ten of them. You know, let's switch. I know. It up. I know. You're right. I, I maybe to switch uh-huh. it up. That would be a, a different avenue to take. But like, I don't know. It's also very much against the core spiritual. God, if she just starts doing Saw stuff, I'm gonna lose. That's the problem. That's the the thing I don't want to happen because, you know, hunting Jason or Michael or even Freddy for that matter, it actually comes to like the showdown of like physical force. You know, Hmm. they're going at it. They're fighting one another. Um, There's not. You don't really can't really do that with the Saw movie. (laughs) It's not (laughs) only trying
1: like out puzzle.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. I don't even know how that would work. Like, it's I mean, just... Yeah, it's already a
1: stretch it. that there's, like, three Jigsaw disciples, you know? like Yeah. I feel yeah. Like really? Like, trapped, any of you thought this was a good John idea? John Kramer into one of his own style of puzzles and see if he can... If he, I know, mean, that's he, kind he's of... He's so smart, but then, you know what? he's just so good at it that he just does, like, a marathon. He's just, Well, that's like, the
0: thing. Like, it's so obvious That's very obvious, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's a Saw movie, right? Like, be as predictable (laughs) as you want it to be, but Um, it just doesn't. Me, it's not fresh enough to warrant a new character. What if they did
1: like a um a Saw movie where it's like kind of like John Kramer uh, captures uh, the Expendables
0: (laughs) crossover? Dude, yeah, like give it to me. It's a bunch of old men. Then he, he's trapped. I don't know how, how to, to use him. a computer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh,
0: man. I like to think that the, the characters in Expendables would have no problem just sawing off parts of their body. Like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay, I guess you're free to go. Easy, saw so off my foot, no problem. Yeah. Oh, pff, okay. Easy yeah, street.
1: Oh, the Fast it. and the Furious crew.
0: Now that's the more interesting one because then you pit the family against one another. That's what I would
1: do. All right, so Chris, imagine
0: this though. So you know how those um, Final Destination movies where like death is just like the loopholes death goes through to like kill somebody? Oh yeah, yeah. What yeah. if it's plot... It, what if this is the complete opposite and it's plot armor and the death? The plot armor will go to, to protect... The Fast ex fan, you know the
1: Fast family.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? He's like, I oh, just
1: uh, how did the I I check those springs myself and they just broke.
0: I, really? Like, they they are gonna drop like a like a car with a spinning tire on the yeah, and, and it's just like rips it, apart on his forehead and does him no damage, <laughs> like he's just fine. Yeah, or it's like he just pops out and breaks his chain so he can get in his car and drive away, and he's like, ah ah ah. I'll, I'll okay. get you. I'll get you. It would be bad. Constantly, yeah. oh, your, I mean, yeah. Like, why not, man? Yeah, is, I I'm, mean, I'm more for you know how like IP is the thing. Let's dip IP. Let's start cutting down these IP by combining these movies. See, that's and the thing. Though, start or, doing that. You can't pick something like Fast and Furious because it's still popular. Like you got <sighs> to pick like an IP that's flagging. and... Mush them together, you know. Yeah, but
1: that would mean like because at the end of the the Saw X Fast and the Furious movie, John Kramer joins the family because that's what happens to all the bad guys. They all end up being good guys.
0: (laughs) Imagine them talking with him, and he's like, "Well, I would put him in a trap, and um, I would have buzzsaws aimed at her (laughs) neck, and they would have to decide what arm they would need to cut off." And Dom's like, "We don't want to do that here." We don't. know. <laughs> and, and then you have, then you have what's his name? That the loudmouth guy from those fast oh, Tyrese. Just, yeah, you got Tyrese going like, "Man, I ain't part of this. This is crazy. You got this, this up white boy telling us to build traps. I ain't doing yeah. it. All right, that's not terrible." And, he's, and he's like, tesh tesh tell me this is ridiculous." And they're all like, "Roman, you're being ridiculous. Let's just go for it." You know. And then Han is like, "I'll do it. I'm, I'm dead every other movie, and he dies I've been, again. I've already died. Yeah. I'm already died. Yeah, die again,
1: yeah. Tyrese. You have to go to space, or else I'll kill you. <laughs> all right, you, you always, <laughs> no, Roman, uh, we already you- did you go to space. <laughs> yeah, he puts Roman in there. He's like,
0: Roman, you're always complaining, even though you. It's that Simpsons episode. You have an amazing <laughs> life. You've been to space, and all you do is complain. You are multi time? <laughs> you do not take luck you take life for granted yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know it's all about man um i'm saying it's got more legs than just like what let's just make a mad fucking mighty max ip movie you know what i'm saying like we gotta mix them it up i think i can give this a fuck but it's (sighs) like the weakest fuck i think i've given all year yeah you know okay okay yeah i mean it's uh it's not terrible it's it's not terrible it's, and i was just glad to go to the movies yeah me too it's been, minute, man. it's been a minute it's true that's also nice but like i don't know it's uh it's nothing i'm gonna remember and it's uh it's another Saul movie it's gonna mix together with all the other ones like steve said i think it's been. Lost. yeah let's let's see how it's how it's been doing. It's better than spiral I'll tell you that right now. God, man, Spiral sucked. I mean, it was awful. Yeah, Terrible. dude. Yeah. So Saw has made fifty-five million, almost fifty-six million. That's probably uh, more than the budget. That's probably double the budget. Yeah, you know, I don't think the budget's anything wild. Um. Yeah, man. Fine. Get get ready for a Saw Eleven, Steve. Ugh. What's Ugh. the coolest Roman numeral? Like, what's the next coolest? Thirteen? Yeah, not 13? Really. It, I, I, not just the,
1: Yeah, it doesn't uh, really. I know matter. that's what I mean. We need a cool dude, Roman. I hate to say it, but it would be Saul 30 20, or fifteen. Fifteen. XV. Oh, yeah,
0: God, that's so long. And then XX. You know, is the next. Cool. XX is cool. XX is cool. So it's all thirty. It's gonna be a freak show, dude. <laughs> I mean, uh, Saul is very <laughs> close to being the longest running horror franchise. Like, it's it's getting up there, you know? Yeah. Saul, when Saul won was, let's see. Does anybody know off the top of their head? 1999.
1: Oh, wait. wait, for Saul?
0: Yeah, Saul, for Saul. Saul, was Saul, Saul was does the, the, anybody know? I, I see it right now. I see it right now. Is it 2000 or 2001? I think it's Steve, one of those. Was, or, yeah, Steve, what's your guess?
1: I'm going to say 2002. 2004 whoa damn yeah. wow because there's, we'll
0: there's that 9-11 joke what is there yeah well their phones say it's like september 10th nine two uh, oh. 2001 <laughs> well maybe
1: maybe that's when it takes place yeah the yeah, movie yeah, itself yeah. yeah i think that's God. true that's a yeah, weird that's... little thing to put in that movie isn't it? That's really oh, Okay, strange. wait,
0: hold on. Yeah, the film was originally written in 2001. All okay. Right? That makes sense. Thanks, that thanks makes well, sense. Because I, I, it's the only reason I would have known when it came out. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's 23 years now? 22? That's... Yeah. It's got legs, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I tell you, uh, by the way, I've been rewatching some Rick and Morty episodes. Actually, hold on. I think that's the okay. same... Uh, before you get into that, I think it's <laughs> the same funny. amount of time as Fast and the Furious, right? Um. Man, um, let's see. Uh, that's that was like 2000, right? Fast and 1999, furious. maybe. Oh man, um, Fast and Furious. Now I have to do one because there's so many like different iterations. Nope, not 10. One, you mm-hmm. fucking Google. Uh, 2001 was yeah. Fast and Furious. So, so, similar, similar time starts, similar trajectories of the series. Uh, yeah, interesting. What were you saying about Rick and Morty? Oh no, so I've been re-watching Rick and Morty. And there's that episode where they have like the face huggers that like glom on near their faces. Oh yeah, yeah. It kind of picks up after and they're like destroying the planet. Race War. And, and then they're flying yeah. out, and then there, there's like an alien version of 9-11, and Rick and Morty are like, eh, let's not do that. <laughs> and, they <just> <laughs> <figure> <laughs> off, and they're like, what about uh what about Pearl Harbor? And they're like, yeah, that's up for that's free game. And then they just do a Pearl Harbor on the place. And then they have to come back to pick up summer. And then they're like, well, we did do a 9-11. We're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just like, ah, oh, man, yeah, this shit's still good. This shit's still funny. I'm sorry. Clever. Um, Yeah, that was my odd Rick and Morty tangent. but Well, um, if if you guys have anything uh, else you want to talk about, any uh, new film I'll be or quick. TV. I'll be, uh, I'll be quick. Um. So I saw this movie because it's been – it's one of those like, you know, I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, that's a movie. And then like it's been um, top five on Netflix for like three weeks. I was like, well, what is this? And I would deem this a a real like relationship movie in the sense of – not like it's a rom-com or anything, but it's like, hey, do you want to watch this murder mystery thriller movie because we're a couple and it's like a fucking – sunday night <laughs> you know let, let's watch it on netflix uh that movie's reptile oh you watched that yeah i did um not great um yeah a lot of people are saying that <laughs> not super good um Diego del toro like clearly the best actor in the movie which is like great you know not bad yeah, yeah he's um great. Justin Timberlake's in it. And it's just like, it's not... It's kind of like, have you ever seen Southpaw, the boxer movie? No, actually. So Southpaw is a boxing movie, Jake Gyllenhaal, that is not good. Uh, And the reason why it's not good, it's because it's like, it's almost a parody because it has every trope in it ever. Ah, Yes, of course. And Reptile is kind of like that, but for these like mystery thrillers, right? It's like... Who did it? Everyone has a motive. This guy is the boyfriend, but there's a lot of motive. But he's a nice guy, but he's not. And it's oh, and it's like oh, here's that co- here's that super shady guy who loves the police, just like that other fucking movie that came out with Denzel a couple of years. Oh ago. god, that, that movie's awful. Yeah, there's a character like just like that in this <sighs> movie, you know? Jared and I was like, the what the that movie? fuck? I was yeah, I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then. You find out who the bad people are, and it's not really hard to surmise. Uh, And then the movie just keeps going for like another forty-five minutes, and then you know, it's better than that movie, but not by much. You know, Um, so you gotta, you gotta. Those movies are so common. You gotta, you got to break formula a lot to make that's the thing. Like I was kind of like after I watched it, I was like, dude, what's a good version of this? Seven. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying, like, what's a new? What's like a modern good version? Because Seven's like, you know, I can't just be like, let's watch Seven again. You know, <laughs> well, Seven. why not? I've seen that Seven means- so many goddamn times. I love it's really Seven. Good, like, man. <laughs> why can't we? The just Batman, make- and Devin. Oh yeah, there you go. God, all right. No, you.
1: I, I've been got. So or Joker. Let's um, go see Joker.
0: You know that movie has the makings of a really solid thriller. And then the end happens and it's just gets so stupid. The Batman, like I've rewatched that and there's like a clear cutoff point where it's still good. And then Mm. the moment he goes to see Riddler in Arkham, it just goes right down the toilet. Yeah. It just gets, man, that's a movie that like, you know, I I wasn't shy about it, but I was like so frustrated with watching it and I've wanted to rewatch it So many times, and I just can't get up to do. Like, I just can't be like that. Would take three hours and watch this fucking super slow movie. Sometimes I watch a movie. I don't know if you guys have this feeling. Sometimes I watch a movie and I'm like, "There's something wrong here," but I can't really put my finger on it. mm -hmm. The first watch, there's that that happens, and then if I watch it like once, maybe twice, you know, over again, I immediately find that part. Like it does, I can't, sometimes I can't find it in the first viewing. You know, yes. And I'm going to give you a great example. And you guys are going to make fun of me because you made fun of me the first time it happened. <laughs> but it's not that it wasn't obvious, but I was just so fascinated with what went wrong. I had to see it again. And that was the Joss Whedon Justice League movie. Mm. I was just like, dude, what the fuck was this? And I was like, I had, and I, I, saw it a second time in theaters, and you guys uh, nailed me to the cross for it. Yeah, well, it, which is, deserved it,
1: you know. But
0: I don't I go. Like, I won't go see a movie that I don't like again in theaters. I'll wait for it to come yeah, out, and then yeah. I'll, I'll watch it at home. There was a lot like, going on, and I had, I had that you know, I had the uh, the freebie pass. So all I was wasting was my time. But still, I was honest, still wasting more time. I think it's rare. I think it's rare that there's ever there's, that scenario happens. Even, even sometimes it happens when it's a good movie too. Like I know it's good, I just don't know why that happens sometimes. Yeah, like Joss Whedon's just, just. Like... <laughs> but like, yeah, it takes a couple, couple of viewings, and then I'm like, you know, specifically yeah. with Batman that that came through almost immediately in the second viewing. You know, I just, everything tonally shifts immediately at the end and it just becomes like a stupid superhero movie. Um, Doesn't work, you know, and it kind of betrays what they're trying to do with Batman completely, you know, instead of making it like an action film, they wanted to make like a procedural Procedural, and then all that's thrown out the window. Yeah, and it's like, well, what if the cops from Seven start doing karate at the end? Of the game? <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> <laughs> see, great thing about the great thing about Seven, the killer. I mean, he matters, and he, he's well casted. Kevin Spacey's great, but like, it doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. It's the it's the crimes that he's committing. They're so like artistic and poetic, mm-hmm. and have a grand design. That's the interesting part of that movie, you know. Not like I just filled a bunch of dump trucks by the lake and yeah. blew them up. Yeah, that's not cool. Oh,
2: okay, cool.
0: <laughs> oh, I flooded Gotham. Oh, it's a big calamity. I gotta solve it. Has nothing to do with my being a detective or being being sad. It's just yeah, it's I'm just bad. The big old big old dummy, dude. Big old dummy. I'm a rich man and I don't know what carpenter tools are, <laughs> nor do I know what Spanish is, even though I definitely had a made. <laughs> a lot of stupid ball in that, too, um, which you don't want for a bad movie. Um, yeah. All right. Well, if there's anything else, I think I'll jump in. There- yeah, go for, yeah it. go for it. Okay. Uh, well, folks, uh, a lot of movies to talk about tonight um, with Paul Verhoeven as director. Um, I watched as many as I possibly could. I watched 14. Um, I could not find Spetters. I could not find Tricked. And there was another one in there in his earlier uh, filmography that just doesn't exist anywhere. Um, which is the sad place that we now live in when it comes to streaming. You just, movies, it just, bleep, they just disappear. <laughs> you can't watch them anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... Um, this is an interesting one, you know. I'll, I'll preface this by saying that um, it's probably the most mixed reactions that I've had with a director's filmography. Usually, I go into this with directors I quite like, and I, you know, Paul Verhoeven's not excluded. I I do like him, but I come out with like more movies I like. I don't think that happened here. I think there was one movie. That surprised me, but the rest, I was like, well, still, they're not good. I like the one the ones I like are still great. Mm-hmm. And that that's really all it is. But we'll start with Turkish Delight, which is Behoven's first film. was shot in 1973. It was a runtime of 108 minutes. Uh Rotten Tomato score of 86%, audience score of 80%. At a budget of 365 francs. Because this is a Dutch film, um, Verhoeven is from the Netherlands, um, and this is not only the first Verhoeven film; this is the first Rucker Hauer movie. This oh, really? Is, yeah, this is his first film. Uh, very young, um, very spastic character. He plays an artist who falls in love with a woman that he that he uh, meets randomly. And they have this love affair. He's very intense. And there is a a rape scene in there, too. Um, Something I can't really get away from with Verhoeven movies. That's a a big turnoff for me, to be perfectly honest. It's like, I don't mind a rape scene here or there in a few movies. But it seems like every one of his movies has one. And it's just like, wow. Oh, my. That's a bit much um, for me. It's like, I can watch gore. I can watch violence. Rape is like. A whole nother thing. And the thing is I guess it's concerning when it's in so many of his movies. Yeah. Like you dude, you have like full control over this. That's the thing. It's like I, I get what he's trying to do. And listen, this guy, you know, he's all about satire, and he's extremely cynical. That's like a one thing I picked up in all of these movies. He's a very cynical person. And sometimes, I don't think it's with his earlier films, but some of his later movies that cynicism spreads into the filmmaking process and he starts to think of his audience as idiots and this is all they want. So I'm going to give it to him. That's a very cynical outlook. And you end up making really bad movies that way. Um, but it, for this film, I think this is his most straightforward movie. Like it's, it's a really sad love story. Uh, basically the movie, after he falls in love with the woman, the, she breaks up with him. He's still deeply in love with her then she develops a brain tumor something that they've been kind of hinting at throughout the whole movie and then she gets extremely sick and she's losing her mind and he stays with her and he feeds her Turkish delight because it's the only thing she'll eat and she dies and it's he takes the wig that she was wearing in her deathbed because of the cancer and throws it in the garbage that's the end of the movie <laughs> very dark very sad um, mm. Not Obviously. necessarily. Not necessarily bad, though. You know. Yeah, clearly ripping off of that Spider-Man cover. <laughs> uh, no longer in love. <laughs> Throwing his, his costume away. <laughs> stay boy. forward, I quit being in love. What? Um, Turkish delight is the most successful film in the history of Dutch cinema. Um, that, whoa! That, okay. That that will keep changing whenever um. Verhoeven makes a movie in in the Netherlands, because every movie he makes is a. Huge hit in in the Netherlands. He's revered there. Um, the the history uh, three uh, three million three hundred thirty eight thousand people saw the movie. I don't have any money attached to that. I don't know they there's bad bookkeeping, so I don't know how much it actually made. But three point three million people is a lot of people. Um, it's considered corresponding to about twenty six percent of the population of the Netherlands. So a quarter of the population of an entire country saw this movie. Whew. Big deal, big deal. Okay, um, it was nominated for a Foreign Film Academy Award. Uh, Day for Night by Truffaut won in 1973. Instead, in 1999, it was received. It received a special Golden Calf Award for the best Dutch film of the century. Uh, yeah, they just huh. love, love this dude. Um, in 2005, it was adapted into a musical, and I really feel like. Uh Ruckerhauer's great, but I think Monique Vanderven, who is his opposite, the love interest, I think she's great in this movie. She really makes the film. Um and it, it film takes a lot of weird routes. Like it's not formulaic at all, which I yeah. like. Um the opening of the movie is really intense. Um I will say that Verhoeven also has a fascination on his main his main characters that are men not wearing pants just a shirt <laughs> like, no pants no underwear just a shirt yeah okay, just winnie the pooh in it winnie the pooh in it uh, porky pig in it like and it, he shows full frontal so you're seeing dick and balls and in, in a lot of this stuff this is uh this isn't i guess this is almost me just being a jerk but like i'm looking at some images and i mean i know it's 1973 but oh, like, I, I forgot to mention the very beginning of the film. He has a hallucination of him murdering a woman and a man. You don't, oh. know who, you don't know who they are, and they're it's a brutal murder scene. He's like shooting somebody in the head and then beating somebody with a brick. Um, Jesus! But then you find out it's uh, it's his girlfriend, his ex girlfriend, and her new boyfriend, and he's envisioning just brutalizing them. Uh okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Right. Does it's, it ever like come back? Or is nah, it like- I mean he has this disdain and anger towards her, but eventually, you know, she gets sick and then it becomes a movie about him taking care of her. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, it's a cool little twist. Like he's really upset with her and angry, rapes her at one point, and then as soon as she gets sick, he's like, This is my world and it's ending. Mm-hmm. And he's destroyed.
2: Um, Ooh, he genius.
0: matures like he's a child yeah in this movie and gotcha, he becomes a man gotcha. at the very end um but you know all being said there's a gratuitous rape scene that i don't like and there's a lot of sexuality and nudity and i'm not really against but it's just a lot there's a shitload of it um definitely started his career the way he would have you know like where his style started (laughs) you saw this movie and you'd be like would you believe this is a paul verhoeven movie oh yeah yeah, definitely uh yeah he's got a very particular style and he's he's got a great visual style too like that's something that always kind of stays there in all of his movies even the bad ones are kind of beautiful looking um so with that, um, yeah, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Gerard Stoatman, who comes back. He's a guy he primarily works with when he's shooting movies in the Netherlands. So that name's going to come back. Um, then we move on to his second film, I believe. No, that's not his second. I couldn't find his second movie. Um, this is like his third or fourth. It's called Soldier of Orange, um, written by Kess Howlerhoek. Gerard Soutman and Paul Verhoeven himself. Um, at the time, Soldier of Orange is the was the most expensive Dutch film ever made at five million francs. Um, this is a movie about the uh, Nazi occupation of the Netherlands in World War II, and uh, the main character Eric is uh, basically trying to figure out a way to get out. While the Nazis are taking over, and it's his entire friend group is kind of split down the middle. Like some of them are um, Nazi supporters; they are actually in the SS, and some of them are resistance. They're fighting against the Nazis, and it you know it's it's like watching if all four of us were in World War II, half of us going over to be Nazis, and the other half fighting against them. Um, it's that's fascinating because you see like people that really love each other, and then that. Loyalty at dies the moment they choose a side. Um does
1: the movie like
0: does the okay, the the group of friends that go with the Nazis, like does the movie go like, yeah, no, that was the wrong decision, or do they just kind of keep it
1: well uh, down you know, the middle a little it's,
0: bit? It's it's the Nazis are terrible. Like they're yeah, violent. but that's what I mean. It's like thugs. I feel like but it's... like some of them are doing it out of survival, you know, like mm-hmm. They don't want to die. They have loved ones they care about. They chose to be in the SS to kind of save themselves. And it's not a great position, but it's a human one. You know, mm-hmm. like you understand survival and what it takes to survive. Sometimes it's doing the worst things ever. And but it doesn't forget like the movie doesn't forgive them for that. You know, yeah. like they're still part of the baddies. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like you can't it's Nazis are the worst, of the worst. You can't, you can't like sympathize with anybody who becomes an SS soldier, it just can't happen. Um, but all that being said, the movie is, uh, I think based on a true story, or at least parts of a true story. Because Verhoeven grew up when he was a kid, he saw this firsthand, he saw the Nazis coming in, he saw people being blown up by artillery and dead bodies on the side of the road. Like it was brutal and violent, and you I understand where his cynicism comes from for people. Yeah. It's all pretty blatant and it comes, it starts in this movie, you know? Um, this also stars Rucker Hauer. Um, he's the lead in this film. It's fantastic in it. He's very good. This is like classic action movie too. Like it's okay. It's very dated. Of course, you know, the, spe- the effects are dated and it looks more like a TV movie, but like, I get what he's trying to do here. I get what the movie is trying to do. And it accomplishes it most part. for the most part. I think it runs a little too long. I think the pacing's a little rough. But overall, it's a decent movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, at the time, yeah. It, it got nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film. Uh, was the most popular Dutch film in 1977. Um, it was also voted the second best Dutch film in 1999 of the century. So dude's got mm. number one and number two in, in Netherlands for the He's best watching
1: it over there, crushing I, it. And like, can you think of any,
0: I mean, the only other director I can think of that comes out of the Netherlands is Nicholas mining Renfin. And that wasn't until like early two thousands before he was making stuff. Um, he obviously does not have the level of acclaim that <laughs> either. Like, I mean, he's. Been, I think he made some great movies in the Netherlands. Like the Pusher trilogy is great. Um, he just doesn't get the same level of attention. Uh, this was also adapted into a musical, and uh, Jerome Crab is the uh, the opposite of Rucker Hauer. In this film, he is an actor that is actually appears in a lot of American movies too, like Rucker Hauer. He was the villain in the fugitive. I don't know if you guys remember that.
1: The no. one armed man.
0: No, not the one armed man, the doctor that set everything up. Oh. Oh. You know, you know what I'm talking about, Steve? Mm-hmm. He's got like that German, he's got a German like European face. I don't know how else to describe it. Black like brownish hair. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's in a lot of uh, Verhoeven's movies in the Netherlands, too. So he, he, he shows up again. This is a Rotten Tomato score of 91%, audience score of 87%, runtime of 147 minutes, and uh, $5 million budget. I don't know how much it made, though. That's, again, lost to time. So now we move on to uh, Verhoeven's foray into thrillers. Um, his first thriller which is called The Fourth Man. Also stars uh, Jaron Crabb as the lead. This is a strange movie. Uh, <laughs> this is a strange film. Kind of reminds me of a Brian De Palma movie a little bit. Um, you have this femme fatale who seduces a bisexual writer. Um, but then the, the writer starts to find out he only fell in love with a woman to get at the man that she's dating. Because he's in love with him, and he met him on a train randomly. <laughs> um, but and it's very interesting in that because this is, again, in 1983, you have a bisexual main character who's probably more interested in a homosexual relationship throughout the movie. I've it's rare to see that in the 80s, you know, rare to see that mm. that type of uh, relationship, you know, being forecast. But they were doing it in in, in the Netherlands. Uh, you used to get to see him Porky Pig in it too what
1: you get to see his dick and balls out with the shirt on oh i think he's. i think he meant just porky pig was in it no no, he's no port- he pig is it. porky pig in it i yeah you. i get uh, you
0: yeah that's a big thing that comes back again um just no no bottom remember what jamie tart <clears throat> said in ted lasso like my upstairs gets cold but my downstairs gets warm yeah when he like that, so i immediately thought of whenever i see that um not to say though, this is pretty interesting it's uh the 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 caveat the interesting part of it I feel is the uh the writer who falls who doesn't really fall in love but is seduced by this woman. He starts having like hallucinations and they're weirdly religious, but they all kind of point to the fact that this woman is murdering her husbands, and it's all very subtle. She's not actively killing anybody, but he thinks she's like a witch, like she's like cursing them or something and the movie is great because it's very ambiguous you're never quite sure if that's the case or not and you you're never quite sure if the main character is fucking insane you know like there's there's one hallucination where he's watching he looks at it like a a crucifix with you know a big one with christ on it and he sees the man that he's like in love with wearing like pool shorts on the cross and there are spiders like crawling all over his face. It's very very interesting visual um and deeply weirdly religious, which is a, a big thing in a lot of his movies too. like there's a lot of religion subtly in in these films uh, that he's making um, yeah, this is this is a fascinating movie. I wouldn't say it's great though. I mm. think it's it's definitely has aged poorly. In, in that in that sense. Yeah. There's, there are some parts that haven't. Like I said, the relationships are really adult and interesting, mature and very modern. So that's fascinating to look at. And it's a good looking movie too. Visually it stands out amongst his other movies. Um, Verhoeven stated that this film has to do with the vision, his vision of religion. Uh, he considers Christianity to be nothing more than one of the many interpretations of reality. And as a whole, a major symptom of schizophrenia in half of the world's population. And, you know, I sort of understand that I get because it's through the hallucinations that this man is figuring out the plot, you know, like, and I think that's what he's attributing the religious aspect to that. That's how religions are based through hallucinations, through schizophrenic delusions, you know, Mm -hmm. and to deny one schizophrenic delusion for another is a little silly, you know. You know, it's a, religion is one. It's as crazy as anything else.
2: Mm-hmm. To say it I isn't, feel that?
0: Yeah, to say it isn't it's silly. You know? Um, some describe the film as the first gay Catholic horror film. Gotta be a first.
1: Trying to think of another one um, <laughs> The Exorcist.
0: First gay. Catholic. The Exorcist. They're banging it out all, like in the director's cut nonstop. Is Harris there?
1: and Damien, they're banging it out. <laughs> I know you're, trying to, you're joking. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of like a scene.
0: I, I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. Because it's a very niche genre, to say the least. Um, but like, this film is pretty blatant in that. You know, like it, it's not subtle. Mm-hmm. Also, a thing that I feel like Verhoeven struggles with is subtlety. Like it's very very much not there in a lot of his movies. Everything's kind of slapping you in the face. And it's funny because like a lot of his later films, they get so poorly reviewed, but then like time goes by and I was like, wait, that was a fucking awesome movie that said a lot more than we thought it did. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just everything in most of those movies is so over the top and violent and excessive that it's hard to see that aspect that subtle aspect that he's injected in there, um, this isn't necessarily like that though. This is, I think, pretty straightforward mm. and uh, just a strange little thriller. That's fun to watch. Um, Rotten Tomato score of one hundred percent. I think that's like six reviews though, so take that with a grain of salt. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Audience, dang, that is. <laughs>
0: yeah. It. I feel like there has to be a cutoff. Like there has to be at least fifty reviews, in my opinion. For it I can to be, see that to, to be like certified fresh, you know? Yeah. Um, this has a runtime of 102 minutes. Uh, it was made in 1983 and uh, yeah. So that's the fourth man. So we'll be moving on to uh, Verhoeven's first American production. And that is a movie by the name of flesh and blood. And I know you guys probably never heard of this movie and that's because it bombed miserably. It was a miserable, miserable bomb. And I also think this is the first movie where we start to see a lot of the problems with production start to come up, because it's in every one of his movies that there is just, just in a huge issues. Um, this was Verhoeven's first English language film. It was also a huge box office flop. Uh, most of the crew and actors would fuck off to go to the Spanish beaches where they were filming in Spain during production. So uh whatever schedule, whatever budget. It was the budget was six point five million, which was quite a bit back then. All all financed by Orion Pictures. Um which is you know Orion Pictures they made, yeah. Robocop, Total Recall, all of his movies, a bunch mm-hmm. of other really big 80s action films. Um has an 86% of Rotten Tomatoes with the audience score of 63%. So, the box office is probably the lowest box office I've ever seen. It's $100,000 versus a $6.5 million budget. That is Ooh. nothing. Mm. I wonder, I mean, I guess you might get into it a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, I wonder what didn't, it had Rucker Hauer in it, which I. Rucker Hauer the lead. Uh, J- Jennifer <laughs> Jason Lee. Yeah. the answer name. Yeah. She's the, uh, his opposite, his uh, romantic interest in the film. Um, and a, a group of good character actors too. Like where I think this movie fails is not necessarily in the storytelling or in the directing. I think it fails in the characters because there is not one single relatable, nice, interesting person in this. They're awful. <laughs> everybody in this movie is a piece of shit. and it's hard to root for anybody. Um, the movie starts off, in, which I quite like. So this is actually like a medieval period piece. This is all, yeah. you know, like a, um, a deeply dark, cynical look at the medieval times. And Paul V. even said, like, I want to show how awful it was to live back then. <laughs> like, that was this big thing. Because it, it's, it's not great. You know, medieval Europe is pretty bad. Um, but all that being said, there's just nobody to like. There's nobody to root for. And with American audiences, that's a death sentence back in the 80s. Um, he chose to secure most of the funding from from Orion Pictures because he was fed up with uh, Dutch films being subsidized by the government, and, i.e. them you know, having final cut in a lot of his movies. Uh, however, Orion soon requested changes in the form of a romantic interest, which was Jennifer Jason Lee. So, you know he went to america to escape people controlling his movies <laughs> and then ran right into a production company and was like you got to change your movie it's yeah. not gonna work it's almost like if they're paying for it they're going to want to have a say of course you know? i mean and it makes sense in that i feel like it would be regard.
1: worse like yeah i kind of agree go- with you you're getting closer and closer into the big machine
0: like yeah i feel like in orion pictures there's more there's more sleaze balls there's more people that think they know what audiences want and they're going to push their opinion on you whereas with the dutch government they're like i don't know we don't know what movies are we just go make whatever you You're
1: want just make a, don't make a flick yeah. i'll tell you what though chris i don't know what it is but i for some reason have a very fond nostalgia for the orion pictures intro oh, well, oh no that's do. sick dude sick uh, partially because it was in front of so
0: many movies i loved
1: in front of RoboCop, yeah, dude. Robo- RoboCop, yeah.
0: Total Recall, like uh, really great action movies that I will always remember. And the, there's Orion right there, but you know they ran themselves into the ground. They they finance they overextended their budgets, and the company just went under. They just couldn't. There was too many losses. You know? Yeah, um, and it was a good <laughs> idea in 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 concept, but it just didn't didn't work, and they went under. Um, But they're back now. Dude, look at them.
1: They're back. And you (laughs) know what? They have that little theme song that I always add lyrics to. It's just Orion, Orion. (laughs) That's not even working. Okay. All right. Yeah, why not? Fuck
0: it. I'll tell you this. I like the first act of this movie. I think there is an aspect because like the beginning starts with a group of mercenaries that are stacking a castle. For like a lord, and they end up doing it, and the and the lord is like, "Go ahead, take whatever you want. You know, you're free free to pillage this place as much as you possibly want." But as they're coming out of the castle, the lord that that gave them the job basically turns on them, and he says, "Drop everything you found. We're gonna kill you and all the mercenaries that we sent here." And Rucker Howard fights his way out with his group. Because you get you know, it's shitty. You got you got, got real berserk energy to it, Chris. It, it does. It does. But Guts is a better person <laughs> yeah. than Rucker Hauer. I mean Guts has like a moral center. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he cares for people. He cares about the people he loves. Rucker Hauer doesn't give a shit about anybody in his group. Like they're people to help him succeed. And of course, in this movie there's a fucking terrible rape scene. Like the worst of all of them is in this movie. Oh, my
1: God. Okay. It's
0: fucking terrible. They're literally holding Trevor Jason Lee, like a group of people, holding her in the air while he's Rucker Howard's raping her. Like, it is fucked up, man. And I don't want to say he's the hero, but he's the lead. And like, he's okay. the lead. <laughs> it's like what? everybody's a lesser degree of an antagonist in this movie. That you know? was oh. a good person. Um, but so, like... You know- I don't need uh, it necessarily, yeah. you know. What are you I saying? Have a question. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so ahead. we haven't actually sent you the task on this, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm gonna need a squib counter. Have the <laughs> squibs showed up at all in any? Like, uh, I, I'm assuming not Turkish delight, but like, what about Soldier of Orange? Were there squibs? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, squibs. There's a particular scene where there's a Nazi gunboat and they're just gunning down a whole group of people in another boat. And there's okay. just blood going everywhere, like good, flying good. up. What about, what about uh, Flesh and Blood? Good squibs? Yeah. Like there's sword this, squibs, I guess. It's I a very violent movie. Like, this okay. is extremely violent. And there's a lot of blood, like the title proposes. But all of that is kind of it's kind of senseless. There's not much of a point to it. And then once the main character, Rucker Howard, he you know, like finds a castle and gets riches and has his woman, the movie just doesn't know where to go. Like, is it's it's it ends up with them being poisoned by the Lord's son, with the plague, but Ruckerhauer survives it, and then oh. he teams <laughs> yeah. up with the, the Lord's son at one point. Like it's just, it goes these directions that are just silly and complicated and don't really yeah. make a lot of sense. And I think that's the downfall of the movie, really. But you know, Beethoven <laughs> thought that. Basically, he said that there. He thought he knew American audiences better than he did, and he didn't with this movie. He commits failure with this, and he's like, "Well, I guess he he said I have to stay here longer and learn more about what American audiences want in their movies." So, <sighs> you know, well, with that, sounds like yeah, sounds we like got, you learned some lessons. Yeah. we got RoboCop. So, <laughs> and you know. There was, uh, let's see, this, uh, Flesh and Blood was made in 1985. RoboCop was made in 1987. So two years, two years' time in America. And I really think in that two-year span, he got it. He figured it out. And he figured out what 80s America was. The Reaganomics, the, the coldness, the, the lack of empathy, the violence, our love of, of cyborgs, our love of cyborgs—like when you think about it, and you break it down about RoboCop, the most moral, righteous—you know, person, good person in the movie—is not a person; it's a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a director and a writer, you got to think to yourself: like, this guy really thinks people are pieces of shit, like, yeah. huge pieces of garbage. And like everybody and it only we need like a robotic brain a half robotic brain just to to break down our own lack of morality and empathy like that's really cynical
2: (laughs) kind (laughs) of sad
0: you know when you look at it in in the in the larger scope but all that being said this movie is the definition to me of a fucking banger it is Oh, God. Yeah. Impeccable. It is, I think it's perfect from the moment it begins to the moment it ends. I have no notes on this one. It is so fucking good. And it's something I grew up with, too. It was so an integral part of my childhood. It's something that I always won't remember. It's endlessly clo- quotable. And all of that, on top of it being really satirical and a total teardown of 80s America. Like, there's so much going on in this movie. It's fascinating. (laughs) would you say? This is going to be controversial. Okay. But would you say that Rucker Hauer was holding him back? No. (laughs) You know, it's like he drops Rucker Hauer and all of a sudden he's got Robocop. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. I I think he didn't understand. He didn't really get American audiences. He really didn't understand them when he when he showed up here and i think he came to america like me and steve were saying under like false bad for bad reasonings because he went from you know from the the pan into the fire basically mm-hmm. when it came to production um and producers really gave him a hard time his whole career and you know rightfully so because this guy he was pretty lack l- lackadaisical when it came to his sets. <laughs> You know, like, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of flexibility, and it didn't seem like he was really in control of a lot of things, and that led to like injuries and illnesses, and all of these movies. Like Robocop was a hard production; it was not easy. I mean, you had Peter Weller basically having a falling out right before production even started because they it took them. It was like he said Verhoeven was like four months. We'll have the suit. You'll have a month before production starts to rehearse in the suit and you get a feel for it and understand it. So the suit wasn't ready until six months into production. They literally gave it to Weller like the day before he was going to be on set. (laughs) And he's like, what the fuck, man? I could barely move in this thing. Like, how am I supposed to act? And he, they had like a falling out and then Verhoeven and it was pretty bad. And then Rob Boutin, (laughs) I think the hero of all these movies basically it was like well we made the the costume just for you so we can't get a new yeah. robocop like this is you and it's made specifically for you and and literally one conversation with him Peter Weller was back on board you know that leads me into some robocop 3 trivia which apparently that's why they when he was recast he was only casted because he could he matched the body. Uh Peter Weller's body type, not because of anything else. They're like, Well, you're the same build, so
1: you got the job.
0: Well, that's the thing too. Peter Weller was like in, in insane shape, like physically. He was running marathons during production. Like oh my God. super super thin, like very, very, very good shape. Um, I think notably, like, isn't the story is like he, he would lose like two pounds a day in that thing because yeah. of sweat constant sweating and he said moving it was really heavy so it was moving around just in general it yeah. caused him to to lose weight um but yeah it was really they they originally was going to be Schwarzenegger as RoboCop oh my god but the, he said like production designers were like he'd look like the Michelin man in this thing like it wouldn't work <laughs> <He's> <laughs> yeah <swollen>. man <laughs> so that, literally <laughs> yeah. like he's already the king but could you yeah. goddamn imagine him in a I think he would, RoboCop out movie. He would pull it off because he was Terminator already. But like, yeah, that's it's like too yeah. much, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, I mean, Peter Weller brought so much to just the movement of the character. You know, oh just yeah, the way he moves, you know, in that movie, It's perfect. Uh, yeah, it's just like wonderful. Just like a, and it like is re like I wouldn't say redefining first-person shooters, but it's like a totally different avenue for the demo or for the for the RoboCop game. Because most yeah. first-person shooters, you're, you're running full speed, you know, like moving as fast as you possibly can, like Doom and, you know, all these other ones. And this is totally opposite of that. He's a walking mm-hmm. tank. And you're just walking room to room. You would think it would get boring, and they're going to have to figure out a way for it not to be boring. Really, <laughs> if you think about it, <laughs> that's a that yeah. to me is like the biggest leap for a video game. Is like, how do you not make it boring? And, and well, hopefully, they don't. <laughs> that's the interesting yeah. part. Yeah. Um. So, um, you get into some of the facts here. RoboCop has a 92, which is a fucking crying shame. It should be 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Audience score of 84%. Um, this is a shocker. Box office, $53 million for a $13 million budgeted movie. That's not why. Wow, I thought this made more money. But apparently it didn't. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, it is hard R, you know? It is. That's um, I think, and it's like, I think this was this obviously still successful theatrically but i think this was like definitely in that time too where it's like the real money's in the vhs yeah 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 you yeah, know and I, I mean i i i can only attest to being uh and merchandise yeah maybe 2 years old when this came out but like i was obviously brought up on this uh, via vhs because it was marketed to us so much yeah, <laughs> yeah <and> insane <laughs> man yeah i mean terminator was cool robocop Marketing to was, us all these I, I had, I had the Glow action. in the dark i had the glow in the dark robocop toy where his one arm turned into a gatling gun okay yeah, i yeah, still yeah. think about it like Once every few months, wistfully. Yeah, dude, that thing was so fucking cool. And my brother had the more traditional one that you put the pop caps in. (laughs) Not the pop caps, but it was the paper. Remember, you put the paper in in his back. The shriva caps. caps. Yeah, dude. Uh, Yeah, that was the thing in the eighties: marketing R-rated movies to children. That was (laughs) (laughs) they did did that so much. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. Um. So uh, some facts about this, some quick facts. I will preface this by saying there's a six-hour RoboCop documentary we talked about before. That's going to give way more information. And the Wikipedia page is a fucking Bible. It's just so much info about this production. I wrote down maybe 10% of what I could find. Um, Verhoeven turned down the script twice because he did not understand the satire at all. And it was his wife that read the script and was like, "This is genius. You need to make this movie," and it convinced him. So, originally, it was supposed to be David Cronenberg making this movie.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think that wouldn't have been as funny. It wouldn't have been as satirical. No, it would have been a lot
1: scarier. But it wouldn't oh have yeah, been. I mean that would have been body horror. Like I mean, yeah. I mean it is body horror, but it doesn't seem like body horror, right? In you know, its current state.
0: It's kind of almost like over-the-top comic level to the point where body horror, the real, the grounded body horror that would be in it would not make sense. You know? Yeah. That that David Cronenberg level of body horror. The only thing and like, it's it's like perfect as it is now, but the only thing I could imagine is the Toxic Waste Goon. You know? Well, I'll tell you this, dude, uh, that was going to be cut and Verhoeven fought for that. (sighs) Could you, um, Good call. Good could call. Can you imagine
2: <laughs>
0: what? Oh my god! And you know, Verhoven was like, we showed it to test audiences. It was the biggest laugh. Like, we got to keep this shit, man. it's Yeah, like, great. That's <laughs> fucking. S- it's not the best scene, but it is a highlight in many. Well, amazing. You could argue that it's like a microcosm of the whole movie. It's this over-the-top, violent <laughs> scene with hardcore gore. Taken as a joke, you
1: know, well, <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Here's yeah, another. Here's another question for you, Chris. Uh, yeah. To kind of counter Devin's earlier question, uh, not even question, statement. Uh, but Rucker Hauer as Clarence Boddicker Oh. Do you I think mean, that was ever in the in talks or? Well, there was a. Was, l- it's so good. It's it's already like the performance. Um. By I don't know why I always want Kurtwood Smith. Form. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kirkwood Smith, is it's perfect. It's pitch perfect. I think but what do you I, think?
0: I, 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 you know, most of all of these movies, there's a, a laundry list of actors for each role, and all mm. of them are turning them down. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. <laughs> it's like, ever, like, the laundry, list was like Tom Selleck was in talks for RoboCop,
1: Harrison Ford, like there are so many names. I people. feel like Tom Selleck had the chance to be so many things in the 80s. <laughs> Boy, did he fuck it up, dude.
0: It's like Burt Reynolds and him of like the dumbest choices, career choices in the well, world. Well, he's like,
1: I can't, I wish I could, but I'm on Magnum PI. Uh,
0: I mean, but back in the day, Magnum PI was garnering what,
1: 50 million viewers or something? Magnum crazy PI like that? was like the biggest show on television yeah, like at that time. But in hindsight, like, yeah,
0: but I guarantee,
1: I guarantee you if we look at like Ted Danson who was on Cheers at the time if anybody was like yo Ted you want to be Indiana Jones you would have been like oh hell yeah <laughs> I
0: think you're right I think it's kind of it's almost shockingly stupid that you would look <laughs> at a character like that and say no like you are literally the focal point of the whole fucking movie if you hey, want to be famous Steven
1: Spielberg wants you to be Indiana Jones why <laughs> he's at his like, okay. Peak. But uh, well, I don't, I don't know about that, Steve. Well, I'm talking about, about Raiders,
0: of, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. But remember, as soon as Raiders of the Lost Ark, he made the Raiders of the Lost Ark. He made 1941. And that was a fucking bomb that nobody respected.
1: Like, at, you, like his career bleh, they, they, Oh, you know what? You might be right. Cause his, all right. Keep in mind. I was, I was putting them in reverse order. Because okay. it was, I for in my head, ET came before Raiders. Okay, but ET came out the year after Raiders, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, that is nuts. <laughs> That's fucking insane. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, like I, I don't want to say that Steven Spielberg wasn't vauded as a, a big time director,
1: but I don't think that came about until like the late '80s. They might have thought he was like losing it. Like at so. that point, maybe after nineteen forty one, that's what I'm thinking. Because nineteen forty one,
0: like I like it. I actually kind of like it, but it it compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T.
1: Like wow, what a drop! Yeah, because like at that point, it was just like Jaws,
0: Close Do Encounters. You think he, he did, I feel like he didn't become like. Oh, he's certified goaded until after like the one two of Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. I agree. I think that I think like, that's when they're like, okay, good. there's no room for discussion. He's yeah. He's the fucking best. I, I think Schindler's List really made him like legitimized him too. Yeah. Because that movie is fantastic and it's very serious, unlike all of his other movies. Um yeah. But still, yeah, uh, to dancing you're a fool. <laughs> Where you mean Tom Selleck? Tom, whoever, right? Let's just
1: <laughs> take Ted Danson taking strays on this podcast. <laughs> 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 what are um, you doing, Ted Dancing? You should have gone. I am.
0: You should have been RoboCop. With- like what? I really, I really think, and this is somebody who's I love this guy more than I love life in some ways. <laughs> Rob Lutan made these movies Dude. so good made all like total recalls starship troopers so wait, the thing? T- is the he thing. The, he's
1: the producer
0: he's the, the visual he effects artist visual and, effect. this is the oh, same gotcha, gotcha, thing gotcha. right okay this is the same guy who did the makeup effects for the thing yes
1: yeah that wasn't um that Godin. wasn't, wasn't what's what, what we call it stan winston stan winston nope. helped for the thing mm.
0: Sam okay. uh no. These these movies in particular, it's really Rob Boutine. Yeah. Okay. 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 And you can tell, like, the the costume, Robocop's costume is so fucking good. Um, so in good, every yeah. way, like, every way. It, it, even when he takes his helmet off, like, the face, okay. this pulled back skin over the, the robotic head, like, it just looks fucking great. It looks painful. Yeah. Like, everything mm. about Robocop looks painful. And that's you just visually, that's amazing. Um, yeah, this guy. Yeah, he makes what it, a man. level of grime in that movie. That yeah, doesn't... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like the the, the the blood, the 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 special effects, the 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 Harry How, and How You know, stop motion at Ed Two Hundred Nine looks amazing. Yeah, like it's you one know those look- uh, corridor crew guys. Like they were like we quote unquote fixed it, and they like fixed the the FPS on it and it looks like so much worse. Oh uh, yeah. Like there's like, something about yeah. the charm of the Ed 209. Yeah. And
1: it fits turkey the turkey. universe.
0: It fits the visual style of yeah. the movie really well because everything's kind of cartoonish, you know, everything's over the top and that's what makes it. It wouldn't be half as good if it didn't have that satirical cynical over the top edge to it. <laughs> um, I really think I, I think Peter Wall is great, but I think the supporting cast of this movie is phenomenal. Ronnie Cox, mm-hmm. Kurtwood Smith, Miguel Fierro, F- Fiera, Fier, I think his name is um, all key components of the satire. Like they they mm-hmm. nail it down. Um, Kurtwood Smith is phenomenal. He's yeah, God, God. yeah, <laughs> is he good? Yeah. But, and I heard, I found out like the gum scene where he sticks the gum on the girl's uh, nameplate and the blood where he spits blood on the girl that's all him like he came up with that all day and it's so good <laughs> yeah and like the go- the goon squad like uh, oh, yeah Jeez. yeah Ray Wise Paul McCrane they all have like different little personalities too mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. subtle they and, all like, stick you know. out they're, they're all, all unique they're all not all just unique. like fodder like, it's yeah. like the uh, this, this predates Die Hard, right? By yeah. year. Okay, uh, yeah. Year. It's like we just we're in this wonderful run uh, where like the goons had personalities that weren't nameless or faceless, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. I think making Clarence Boddicker's gang, like actual characters, made them scarier, made them yeah. more imposing. And, and they don't have to be super deep, right? They just no. like all have a little moment here or there. Yep. Yep. And I think uh, that's the, the most important part is also getting good actors. Like I think, yeah, yeah. the acting in this movie is phenomenal. Everybody's good. <laughs> and, and it's a really weird script. It's some weird, really weird dialogue, but everybody plays it perfectly, like perfectly pitch perfect. Um, so yeah, I did write down some casting possibilities. So as well as Tom, Tom Selleck and Schwarzenegger, Michael Ironsides, Rucker Hauer, Tom Berenger, Armand Asante, Keith Carradine, and J- James Remmer. I don't know what that last one is. I mean,
1: we will see Michael Ironsides. Ah, uh, yes. Later point. <laughs> you know,
0: part of me, as an adult, really loves the villains more than the heroes in these movies. Like, I think they... the mm-hmm. movie This and Total Recall, the villains are so fucking good. And they're like, you kind of... Understand them and relate to them, especially in Total Recall. Like I think, um, but anyway, let's get ahead of myself. Uh, Verhoeven wanted the production designer from Blade Runner, but the Orion producer said he could either have a great RoboCop costume or a great production designer, and Verhoeven chose the costume. Right call, right call, yeah, perfect call, no doubt in my mind. And I, I feel like the the Blade Runner production designer when made things a little too dark.
1: Honestly, here's OK, so here's a thought D- like the um justification to like not have that great production might have made the movie even better because like they were probably like, oh, rather than make this take place in Delta City, then it's going to be Detroit when it's still in this like awful junk, like transition of like OCP trying to build Delta city. You're
0: right. Like the cheapness adds to the charm. Right. Of, de- of, of Detroit at that old Detroit at the time. Like it need to look rundown and slimy and cheap. Forget to get that point across. God. and Sorry, Everything would have looked too clean. I feel like if you got someone like a good production designer to work on. it. <laughs> and that's yeah. important. Speaking of fucking shots that are just go completely under, like, undervalued, but the scene where Robocop is walking away from the explosion in the gas station and the fireball, Mm. that looks
1: so fucking good, dude. That's a massive explosion. That is
0: insane, dude, and it looks so good. So they actually, they shot in Dallas, but they had a chance to shoot in Houston. But Houston wouldn't allow them to blow shit up. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> so they were like, "Well, that's an easy choice." Oh my yeah. god! It down. Sorry, yeah, I was just like clicking through, and I was like, "This is so good." Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick a great. A per- my favorite scene, even like I, I just so much about it. That's great. I think if I were to be critical at all about this movie, How dare you. I think the first half works a little better than the second. I think the intro, the Alex becoming RoboCop, mm-hmm. all of that is the best part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's you like just scraping. That's that the only thing too. I could think. Yeah. Of. That's the only thing I could really be critical about. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But there I are some, there, there are great scenes in the end too. That just are great mm-hmm. and, and make the movie just as good. So uh, Yeah. That's a lot of thing. Uh, Verhoeven began taking medication to cope with stress induced insomnia, uh, which left him filming many scenes intoxicated because of the medication. Whoa. Yeah, this was a hard production. I don't think I think everybody was suffering. There was a lot of infighting, you know, between Weller and Verhoeven in the beginning. Oh, it's a shame too because it's like it's a shame that sometimes that is what makes like amazing. Product. Some people will say that's the only thing that makes amazing products. Yeah, I hate that thought process, but like the fact that there's proof to back it up to some extent, like mm-hmm. is what it is. You know, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is another thing I was talking about. Uh, Kurtwood Smith and the scene with the blood. He, Verhoeven was all about improvising blocking with the actors. He would sit down before a scene started to be like, so what do you think this character would do in this scene? How would he move around? Very open to suggestion. That's the one aspect I think that really works in all of these movies. This Man, uh, collaborative that's cool. process, yeah, like a very collaborative process between the actors and the director uh, about how a character should move. Very important stuff. And a craziest thing: Murphy's death. That whole death scene. That was a pickup. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Yeah, eventually he was gonna be shot. In there, killed, and then the body is gonna be taken out. The whole mutilation scene, that was all pickup. Dude, I feel yeah. like that's like them being like, all right, let's uh, whatever, let's just do it. And then they got like really into it. They're like, okay, like, but then what if you're like, I hate cops? And then you go, na 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 na. Like, yeah, dude. And you know, the cool thing I know, I found out was... You think that like, during the pickup, they just found out they had so much more budget than they thought? They're like, I think oh, they're let's just go wild. They're like, oh, they're giving us more money. Let's fucking do it, man. <laughs> um, the coolest thing I found out about was, you know, Murphy gets his hand shot and explodes. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that 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 piece, that, that uh, makeup piece, was actually, it was a hand that exploded specifically at a certain point at certain points and it could come back together so they could shoot the scene over and over again to get it right what not nuts
1: (laughs) so weird dude yeah like
0: that's a level detail and fat and interest that make that movie (sighs) makes that scene scary and over the top and crazy yeah because like all right i'm looking at a still right and it's like if you look at the still it it does look I mean, of course, right? Mm-hmm. It clearly looks like, okay, yeah, this is just like a fake hand. It splits apart. But the apart. fact that it, like, it explodes in blood, and then they're like, oh, no, it just, like, can come back together. He, Yeah, basically, he had, like, pipes. These, yeah, these it seems like it gets... pipes going throughout his whole body, and it would just blood would squirt and high pressure, and a lot of it. Yeah, no, it's his... it looks like... I'm looking at this GIF, which is, like fucking abusive to my brain but it's like they pull the hand back and then blood just shoots
1: out of it this is it's
0: brutal it's I a brutal it. probably one of the most brutal scenes in cinema history yeah in my opinion. i guess i i was a hard thing for me to watch as a child <laughs> it's it, it it left a mark <laughs> <laughs> i bet dude left the fucking mark um but yeah i think i respect it so much now because it looks beautiful like in its carnage it looks perfect uh (laughs) man i could talk about this movie for hours this i mean knowing this is a pickup this might be the greatest pickup in cinema history gotta be right like what's better dude i mean like that's such a weird kind of baseball stat to go at but it's like i can't think of a better one like i can't think (laughs) yeah like like oh, yeah. that I know of, yeah. The Stegosaurus scene in Jurassic Park was a pickup. <laughs> oh, the yeah. Alien Mech Queen fight was a pickup. Like, <laughs> dude, we didn't even it. think we we're gonna put it in there, but you know. ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. yeah, I, I could talk about it. I really could talk about this movie for hours, yeah. um, but I yeah, got turned on. into the Robocop cast. Sorry, you got to move on. You got I got to talk about another fucking banger. I don't slightly not as good as RoboCop, but I love it all the same as Total inches, Recall. The Game of Inches, dude. Game yeah. of Inches Total Recall is there it is right next to RoboCop as far as my favorite. Actually, it might be third, now that I think about it. Oh, man. Hollow Man that good, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, this movie is fantastic, and it's written by Dan O'Brien. Dan O'Brien is the writer of Alien... Uh he's the he's the God. director and writer of Return of the Living Dead, which is a movie I will never ever forget. It is a cult movie that I absolutely love mm. in every way, shape, or form. Um, and he's s- sardonic and satirical in the right ways. Man, does that come out in total recall as well? Um yeah, I love this movie. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. I love Sharon Stone in this movie. Michael Ironside's is great. Ronnie Cox is great as Cohagan. Like some of the best character actors in the business, you know. And they're, everybody's great. Um, and originally, you know, there was a lot of names being thrown around, like every other Paul Verhoeven main character for mm-hmm. for Quaid. Uh, but Schwarzenegger <laughs> really pushed for this one. He really wanted to do it.
1: He, <laughs> he probably saw it. RoboCop and went, damn it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. He's like, oh wait, I said no to that? Oh, God.
1: And you know the cool thing about this movie? Somebody brought it up. I
0: didn't come up with this. I read about it. And it, man, is it like, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, fuck. That is perfect. This has a lot of parallels with the plot of The Matrix, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I can <So> you can <laughs> kind of definitely see that. You have a worker who... You know, like a, a an ant in 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 the colony who fights back against the oppressive, controlling government that exists, who eventually finds out that he is a tool of the resistance uh, uh, to fight against this greater force. And he has no free will, really, <laughs> for what he's doing it is all the resistance that is using this body and this new mind to act as like almost like a bullet that's primed and shot at the corporations in this film would you say the smartest arnold schwarzenegger movie hands down hands down yeah there was a lot i never like it's like i never picked up on the subtlety i guess i never really understood the actual plot of total recall till much later you know because i was watching it when i was you know a child so i'm just like okay yeah there's that cool scene with the skeletons which was just the the x-ray machine and you know, all the cool gore and the, and the crazy Mars stuff. But like, I never understood, like he was like a sleeper agent, but maybe not, but then maybe, you know, all of that, like just completely went over my head until much, much later. Also the ending, you know, the whole, mm-hmm. the entire film, we find out, we we hear in the, in the first 15 minutes of the movie, what the total, what the recall vacation is titled. It is titled yeah. Blue Sky on Mars. We hear that it's a throwaway line by the guy selling the vacation. And what happens at the end of the movie is a blue sky on Mars. Yeah, it's totally fabricated. It's not real. It is a, a fun little video game that this guy is playing in his mind. And then he's going to wake up in that chair with the sleazy salesman. And he's going to be like, hey, did you like it? Did you have a good time? Like, yeah, it was fun. That was interesting. Oh my god! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't <really> fun. <laughs> I didn't really do much. Um, I'm gonna, like pulling my nose thing. Let's see. We could cut that.
1: <laughs> Should have gone to Westworld instead. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Cronenberg again was attached to, to this movie, and a good for a good <laughs> amount of time.
1: Cronenberg <laughs> just keeps eating shit that he what? developed.
0: Uh, Quato, that was his idea. Oh, 100%. That was all him. Yeah. And it wouldn't, he wouldn't even be a character in the movie if it wasn't for David Cronenberg. And that's such a great character. Goddamn. Yeah. Uh, oh, Quato's yeah. Quato's an all timer, dude. I did not expect that. Is that a yeah. pickup? That's a pickup. <laughs> Quato's is a character. <laughs> it's it's a yeah. <laughs> they were chilling around post production and be like, hey, you know, it'd be fun. A guy growing out of another guy. Let's do that. Um, this is based on a Philip K. Dick story titled "We Can Remember It for You Wholesale." Uh, very different, though. It took a lot of different avenues. Um, so the reason why this was even greenlit for the budget, which was eighty million dollars at the time, oh my god! Which is in in nineteen ninety, it was a good deal of cash. Um, the year before, nineteen eighty nine was the record box office for all cinemas, $5 billion in 1989. And Damn. after this point, not only were actors getting paid more, but budgets were skyrocketing. Everything was going up and the moves are getting bigger and uh, bolder and again, a lot of action, you know, action was a big deal.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, so yeah, that's the whole reason why this movie was even greenlit in the first place. Uh, of course, Rob Boutin did a lot of the effects they all look amazing. Um yeah, like Devin said, the nose, the pulling scene, pulling the tracker out of his nose. God, that looks so much like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it really does. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like these these prosthetics, like the woman prosthetic, you know, the head that, that Yeah, pulls back. Like it looks You great. know, fun fact, fun Devin trivia. I used to recite that Scene basically all the time to the point where I would pull my, my cheeks apart and I would split my own lip because I would keep doing it. Two so weeks, yeah, two weeks. <laughs> like, I would just <laughs> like to the point where my lips were bleeding because I was splitting them because I was pulling so hard, which is insane. But, like, it that <laughs> that happened. That's what I was doing. <laughs> um. I will say, though, like all of his other movies, there was a slew of production problems during during production. Um, so what the do you film... mean I can't go to Mars? <laughs> <laughs> we can't film this on Mars? What the fuck? Um, filmed almost entirely in sequence, which is insane. That's, That's really well, weird. Okay, that cool. Really weird. It's pretty cool, um, I guess. Filmed almost entirely in Mexico City as well. Um, oh, most of this movie was shot in Mexico. And that was a big problem because... Uh, apparently, filming was beset with injuries and sickness. Almost everyone suffered from dust inhalation because there was these giant fans blowing sand around the entire production all the time. Um, food poisoning was a problem because of the Mexican cuisine, um, so much so that Arnold would fly his food in from America because of the experience he had on working on The Predator. Oh yeah, he was mm. like always sick during The Predator. Yeah, Montezuma's Revenge was a problem for pretty much this production and and predator uh big time and people were constantly sick. Arnold uh, managed to cut his wrist because there was a piece of breakaway glass and break completely. So it's like he had to get stitches and there was like oh six or seven. Uh, so that slowed production down. Michael Ironsides broke his two ribs during a, a fight scene and then had to wear a brace during the rest of the fight scenes that scene on the elevator, he can't lift his arms up above his shoulders. So they're kind of just like grappling and then he gets pushed off the elevator and then it's, you know, see you at the party, you know, (laughs) um, yeah, it's just beset by so many physical problems from the actors and the set and where they were shooting. Um, but again, you know, you like a diamond, you need the pressure to build, to make a diamond and, That's Total Recall. That's RoboCop. Out of those two, you get these great products. Um, God, I just love it so much. What else do I got here? Yeah, $5 billion box office. Uh, Is there anything else? Oh, uh, the big thing that Schwarzenegger brought to it, he was almost like an executive producer on this movie. He had a lot of say. He didn't want to kill the enemies in the movie with guns. He said, I do that. He got a lot of flack in Commando. (laughs) <laughs> killing people with guns so he said I want creative deaths and man you get so fucking many of those in this movie and they're great every one of them are fucking mm. phenomenal um, and the scene that sold Schwarzenegger was the scene where the doctor comes in to talk to Quaid and say hey man this is a dream you gotta take this pill and wake up um, he loved that scene he thought it was like that's the crux of the movie and he's right it is it's the whole crux of the unreality of the whole situation that he's in. Uh, good eye. Good eye on Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know, for figuring yeah, out. Can I tell you just uh, a wonderful Arnold story I just read? About yeah, this. He's, there's, he's a he's a fucking king in, in, on the set. Oh, yeah, anyway. so uh, apparently Arnold noticed that Michael Ironside was constantly on the phone between takes. When yeah, he broached the this. subject with him, he was told that Ironside was phoning his sister, and she was currently suffering from cancer. Arnold immediately brought Michael into his trailer, and they had an hour-long three-way conversation with his sister, Ironside sister, about what exercises she should do, what kinds of foods she should be eating. Mm. Man,
1: what a swell
0: dude! Not only that, Devin, he threw parties for the whole crew. Oh he would—he was like a prankster. He would have like water gun fights on set. He was the nicest, just generally coolest person to work with on a set it seemed like. So, this was uh, yeah. nineteen ninety, right? Nineteen ninety, yep. So this is before was this before or the year of Terminator two?
1: Uh this is like a year before or two years before. I think that two was years like ninety one or ninety two, Right? ninety two.
0: God, he just had the luck man. He picked these right I, and it's not luck. He knew these scripts were good.
1: <laughs> I mean he's pretty much still like kind of like a king at this point.
0: Yeah. I'd say so. Like
1: Conan, Terminator. Uh, you,
0: you know what, though. You know, I. You know who I'd rather as Quade oh, Steve. Richard Dreyfus. What that,
1: that would be. <laughs> Ridiculous! <laughs> that was
0: David Cronenberg.
1: That's what he wanted. To make. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! I mean, that's the funny thing. Is it's like my favorite kind of Arnold movies. My favorite Arnold trope is casting him as an everyman. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Because yes. it's like, of course you're a sleeper agent, dude. Look at <laughs> you! Like, yeah, he's he's a guy who just he's he just
0: runs around the jackhammer in the movie. Like, well, that's Vic that's Arnold's his job, story. right? It was the stunt. Coordinator in the movie, he saw. He's like he was reading the script. And he's like he's supposed to be an everyman, and he saw that scene where he's jackhammering with that shirt on and his like giant biceps. He's like who's
2: gonna <laughs> who's gonna believe that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's wearing flannel all day. It's like okay. You know, I think his performance is somebody who's kind of bored too. Like that works yeah. in the beginning. Like it makes him seem mundane. Mm. In a lot of ways, uh, he's wearing looser clothing. That's a good thing, too. I feel like whatever clothes he's wearing is like two sizes too big in the beginning. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you're not really seeing the physique, and he looks just like a kind of an average idiot, you know, going on vacation, um, at least in performance. And then as the movie progresses, he's fucking ripped out of his mind and he looks like a monster. But I, uh, I love this movie. Um, (laughs) And, you know, a a lot of critics, they they poo-pooed this movie as well as RoboCop, you know, when it came out. And... uh, like basically almost every single Verhoeven movie. It's like this film was reevaluated later on and realized that it was one of the best action movies.
1: <laughs> oh my God.
0: <laughs> and it's so like, it's RoboCop the same way. Like critics thought it was over the top and garish with the violence and sexuality and drugs. And there's like, it has been reevaluated and listed as one of the best science fiction action films ever made. Like,
1: I think when you take like an eye of the past onto <laughs> these films, like, I guess so, like a post, I don't know, a post, like. I will say not... this, and
0: this is a broad generalization, but I okay. I really think it's true. I think audiences back in the 80s were dumber. Mm-hmm. Simple as yeah, that? Yeah, well, they just, they, you know, they didn't have they the They didn't internet. have the, the film knowledge or the film IQ that seems to be a little bit more, it's proliferated more now. People mm, understand yeah. a little bit more about the technique of film, and I think they have a broader understanding of it than they did back in the day.
1: I would uh, say the, there was even more of a um, more of a religious um, kind of tone still surrounding media. Like, mm. remember when like it was like, uh-oh, the churches are 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 literally picketing The Exorcist? Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. These things are like, like literally, a new Exorcist came out this week.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, and like, no, no, no picketing, no. President. Yeah, no one cares.
1: <laughs> like that's just the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I think you're on some there.
0: I think there's, there's something to be said about like the societal institutions were a little bit yeah. stronger back in the day. They had a little bit more say. And it view, it swayed a lot of people, um, and I think that's a big part. of it. But you know, I do think it's just people weren't as intelligent when it came to film. I think that's changed.
1: I would I really love did. to. I would love to say that, but it always kills me in my head when I watch the clip of Roger Ebert reviewing uh, the thing.
0: <laughs> well, I know. I mean, but that's my point. You know, like people didn't <laughs> understand. Anything outside of the, the horror and the violence and the gore, like there's a lot more going on in the thing and RoboCop and Total Recall. Mm. But like, I feel like the shock value of the violence is what turned a lot of people off. And that's not necessarily the same as it used to be. I think <laughs> people are a little bit more desensitized too.
1: I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, Steve, what's, uh, what's the clip? Where is he just like, this movie stinks. Uh, he, I believe, he refers to like the characters. Like, he's like, None, there's no characters in this movie, it's just gore, it's just yep. senseless gore. And it's like, dude, the thing is like all character and like subtle, yeah. like plays like that. Like,
0: it's all paranoia and stress and dealing with and distrust. And it, I feel like back in the day, people were just turned off immediately by gore,
1: and yeah.
0: That's As soon as they saw that, that was it. You know, the, was, the out.
1: only gore that was acceptable in the movies were like your Ronald Reagan, big patriotic, like blow them away with guns. Yeah. Fest. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. And that
0: it, it, they felt like gore, good gore should have a point, right? Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be just there. And it's, it's, I feel like people didn't have a dis between good and bad gore. It was just gore. And anybody who did it too much in a movie immediately wrote them off. Yeah. Because they think, oh, well, that's all they can do, it's all exploitative, and that's not the case. Whew, man. You know, there's there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more satire there. And the gore and RoboCop and Total Recall really over the top, and specifically for a good reason. For Robocop, it's the society is crumbling. People don't have empathy. People don't care about one another anymore. And in Total Recall, it's a fucking fabricated video game. Yeah, or it's going to be over the top. and <laughs> like, Chris, uh,
1: do you remember how excited we were when we got our hands on the Criterion DVD with the extra like amount of the, the unrated cut of RoboCop? Oh, yeah. How, how it like was extra long. That scene <laughs> yeah. of Ed 209 blowing that dude away in the board meeting. Dude, they, the MPAA hated that scene so <laughs> much.
0: It's unbelievable. <laughs> Which makes me love it more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's just, it's so gratuitous, but it's gratuity with a point. There's a point there. It's not like it's just there for no reason. Like, these corporate drones watching this awful, terrible piece of technology ripped somebody to shreds in front of them and their reaction is, well, we're not going to be able to sell that. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, like that's... Can't market that. Huge! That's
0: the whole point of the fucking movie right there. Um, how do you miss that? It just makes me think that they were dominant back then. That's all. That's my point. You know? Um, I didn't miss it. You know, Anyway. Total Recall, Fantastic move on um so this is where for me it starts to dip a little bit i uh i'm we're moving on a basic instinct now and i man this movie to use a pun rubs me the wrong way oh my god I, <laughs> I don't um, i don't hate it necessarily i think sharon stone is fantastic in this movie, I think Michael Douglas is playing the same character he's played you know, like five other movies in the nineties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's always that kind of stressed out detective, like Black Rain.
1: This is the uh, the one with like the 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 no panties scene, right? Yeah, the oh, yeah, man. oh I've yeah, the clam shot. clam shot.
0: I've never seen Basic Instinct. You know, I'm gonna tell you, man. It's basically. It's basically <laughs> a film noir. It's a bogey movie, a Humphrey Bogart movie with a clam shot in it. Like that's. <laughs> like it.
2: It's, like, it's. But it's,
0: not just any clam shot. Sharon it's Stone's like it's clam shot in the beginning of the big sleep. If Lauren Bacall just like lifted her dress up in front of
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Humphrey Bogart, and you to see her vagina. and you know, that set the tone of the movie.
1: Um, that's so silly
0: it's it's a film noir it's it's that's right. what it is and there's it's very simplistic in that regard like i it's sexual and there is some you know some subversiveness to it too because you have like mm. this lesbian relationship between Sharon Stone and, and this girl in the movie and that's something that kind of adds a little dimension to it but really, it's just a, a boilerplate mystery.
1: And yeah, I still feel like this was like big at the time. Like I remember there being so many parodies of Basic Instinct. Oh yeah.
0: So guys, the budget of this movie is forty nine million. Pretty, pretty big. It's a lot of money for a lot of um, money. A clam shot. This movie made three hundred and fifty two million dollars. Yeah, we all know why. <laughs> I think we all know why. yeah and i i the the first five minutes of this movie the dialogue in this movie is dated and man is not stood the test of time it's silly first five minutes of this movie cop says there's cum all over the bedsheets and i was like (sighs) (laughs) 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 like and all these movies and all these shows i watch these police procedural shows they always call it semen because that's the technical name for it. That makes it not come, <laughs> you know, like come. <laughs> it's a rough word, and it just doesn't fit in a serious movie for me. <laughs> they
1: Sorry. weren't saying that on CSI. Was, was the I cop
0: would... was the cop chewing bubble gum and blowing <laughs> bubbles? With basically, the gum basically. all over the place. Basically. And like literally there's come everywhere. Like they have a black light and they just show like stain like more than a regular human man. One human man could produce all over the sheets and stuff. And it
1: might be a scary movie situation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, the, the opening of the movie is brutal as fuck, too. There's like Sharon Stone is riding this guy like hardcore violently in bed. who's like he's like this rock star and he's like tied up in bed and she takes an ice pick and she just starts fucking stabbing him. And there's a scene where she stabs him right through the fucking eye and you see it, like it goes through the eye and then like through his nose. And yeah, it dude. looks, it looks fucking awesome by the way. <laughs> like it looks so real. Good squibs. You <laughs> dude, It's a whole head. They made a whole head oh, dude. that she was stabbing with an ice pick, man. It's brutal. Um, and Sharon stone, Sharon Stone the best part of this movie. And I'm not just saying it because she shows her vagina. She's a really good actress. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I just want to cut out. I'm not just saying that because she shows her vagina. She's, she's actually really good. She's so good. Like, she's she's the femme fatale. She is exactly who I would think of to be a femme fatale. Like, Man. that actress is perfect for that Apparently, role. Apparently, uh, her, her in uh, Total Recall was, like, the... That that performance that she gave was what he was like. Oh, we need to cast her for Basic Instinct, and she was With relatively her to turn on a dime like that. Yeah, turn from from loving to evil basically. Yeah, uh, she's great in Total Recall too. Um, yeah, and 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 like she was relatively unknown at this point. Like uh, mm-hmm. Michael Douglas made fourteen million off this movie. She made like five hundred thousand. Wow, you know, yeah. totally different amount of money. Uh, Michael Douglas actually he's kind of a dickhead in this when he says this Michael Douglas on being upset with casting the relatively unknown Sharon Stone. He said, I need someone to share the risks of this movie. I don't want to be up there all by myself. There's a lot of shit flying around his words. <laughs> of course. I don't, it seems really kind of misogynistic a little bit. Yeah. Did and you like- read the other bit of trivia where he was like jealous of all the attention Sharon Stone was getting? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah mean- apparently, um, Sharon Stone's like acting during the actual filming of the movie wasn't meeting the audition quality. So Paul Verhoeven was like coaching her and Michael Douglas essentially started feeling left out because, you know, at the end of the day they're all actors and they're all needy fucking brats. (laughs) Yeah. I think like apparently they had a huge argument in the trailer, uh, which caused uh, Verhoeven's, to burst a blood vessel in his nose so he left the trailer <laughs> bleeding everywhere and everyone thought Michael Douglas punched him in the face. Uh, it's fun. It's fun trivia, dude. <laughs>
1: it's so silly. Oh,
0: oh okay. Um, yeah, he sounds kind of like a dick during a lot of this. And I I, I feel like he was he was acted, at least in the movie, when I saw it. I think Sharon Snow is better in every scene. Um, yeah. I, I I don't love this movie and I and I, I think I know why. The dialogue is is rough in this. It's so like that come line was like <laughs> it was like, it was like the 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 beginning, you know? Like I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." Like I was kind of getting ready for it. Um and there's some bad lines in this movie. And it's written by this guy named Joe Estherhouse. Um who like he made Flashdance and The Jagged Edge. I'm not really where he wrote Flashdance and the Jagged Edge. Flashdance was a huge hit. And this guy was basically like setting the tone or setting the the amount of money he would make on all these movies. He would he was huge, very much wanted. And bro like there was a, a bidding war for the script on who would buy it. He sold it for like four million, which is a lot of money for a script. Yeah. And uh I don't know, like Verhoeven got the script and then he was rewriting it and Esther House was like I don't want you to rewrite it it's fine the way it is and Verhoeven's like oh this doesn't work this doesn't work Esther House was really offended he left production and then like they rewrote it they got to a fifth draft and it was back to the Esther House script basically so he (laughs) he got the sole credit of the movie so (laughs) all that like pissing and moaning didn't matter and they brought it back. He was really upset with the lesbian relationship. He thought it was exploitative, but I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I think it has another dimension to Sharon Stone's character in this. Um, yeah, I, I don't like him. I don't like this guy. I just his dialogue's bad and I don't think I think he got like too popular for what he was writing. I don't think it was as good as his popularity assumed it was. Yeah, in the wrestling world, we call that a Vince Russo problem. Vince Russo problem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) full overrated. A guy guy that was like had some good, big rating mo ideas, but like he's just a total fucking toolbox. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and I think he's a little overrated. I think his his scripts, like Flashdance, is okay. I think what makes Flashdance great is not the script; it's the visuals, it's the cinematography. The movie, there are shots that live on forever. And I think that has nothing to do with the script. So he's a little big for his britches, as they would say. Yeah. Um, This has a Rotten Tomato score of 56%. An audience score of 63%. Uh, We made, you know, we made a buttload of money. Runtime of 128 minutes. Uh, Made 1992. Uh, And I think, oh, uh, Verhoeven cut 35 to 40 seconds of the film to keep it from an NC-17 rating. Hmm, man, what do you, I mean. I know exactly what he caught, up Okay. all right because the way he said it, he's like, well, it was just, you know, the angle was wrong. And, you know, <laughs> it was too, it was too, like, great right on. I just fixed the angle, and I know it's the clam shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know it. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: like, man, he filmed many... that probably, like, straight on, like, kept it on there for, like, 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just fought a little bit this time. Just fought in the middle of it. What? What's wrong with you? Wayne Knight, sweatiest man in cinema history in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently, sweaty. this movie got him a job uh, in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. He's <laughs> Wayne Knight. Everybody loves Wayne Knight. <laughs> Newman. Steven Spielberg apparently uh, stayed till the end credits to figure out who who was that actor. Wow. Who was that he's
1: sweaty it? man? Yeah, he's a, he's
0: a sweaty man to play my my jerk off fucking. You know, it's good casting. You yeah, it. I mean, solid you know, casting. Um, That's why so, I stayed. We're gonna move on to arguably the worst film of this uh, watch. Arguably, man. Whoa. Okay. Um, I actually, I don't even know. It's probably not arguably. I think most people agree that Showgirls is awful. Um, it's almost a meme at this point, or at least in the you know film nerd community. This movie is some of the worst acting I've ever seen in a, a motion picture. It is absolutely horrendous. And Elizabeth Berkeley is so bad in this movie. Yeah. It's uh, shocking. It's there. There's like her delivery for some of these scenes is so silly and over the top. I, there's a scene where she's talking to a girl and she's upset. And she's trying to eat fries. And, and like, she's putting ketchup on the fries. And then she just throws the whole basket up in the air. After a woman asking, like, a perfectly reasonable question. She's just like, I don't know! I don't know! <laughs> like, <laughs> fries everywhere. Like, losing her goddamn mind way over the top. Like, motions do not match the scene at all. Oh, uh, God. And the, the dialogue is so fucking bad. Oh god! There's some scenes. It's like, you know, all these movies have been reevaluated and found out that they were satirical in a lot of ways. And they try to do it with this movie. And they try to go back and reevaluate it. The satire is so minuscule in this. I, I, it's almost non-existent. It's just a goofy, over-the-top, silly fucking movie with a lot of tits, a lot of full-frontal nudity. Uh, the women are gorgeous in this movie, obviously, but like, it's a chore. It's a chore to watch this. Uh, it was a hard watch, and it was written <laughs> by Joe Estherhouse, So there it is. There's that. <laughs> I can I? Anyway. Uh, can I give you a very funny bit of trivia? I'm just reading. Yeah, what's up? The only time actresses complained when they felt uncomfortable was during the scenes with the monkeys who constantly stared at their boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Like once there's only one scene with. Oh, well, you know what? That's they were cool with everything except for that. <laughs> and right. you know, it's funny. Like I found out, there's like this little factoid. Is like, Esther House and Verhoeven interviewed, and I say interviewed. I use the quotations. Interviewed two hundred plus strippers on their experience in dancing. <laughs> Oof, man. I don't think there's a lot of interviewing going on. It's catch your drift. <sighs> okay, so like I've never seen this, but like. What makes it, like, so bad? Is it just, like, bad acting? Is bad acting, kinda... bad dialogue. Okay. Bad acting, bad... Like, the plot's fine. It's fine. Uh, there's also the worst rape scene I've ever seen in a movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's well yeah. fucking so bad. It's, like, bad, not, like, poorly made. Like, awfully graphic and brutal and just... Ugh. God damn! I had to take a break after that one. I was like, "Fuck Jeez. me, man!" You know, and like, I mean, you know, not the not to just make wild assumptions here, but you know what? Some of the best movies that didn't have rape scenes in his entire filmography: <laughs> RoboCop and Total Recall. Exactly. Attempted like, rape. Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, Starship Troopers. But attempted rape in RoboCop. Right. Iconic scene. Iconic scene. That's what makes know? it great that somebody stopped it. Yeah, and he gets <laughs> shot in the dick, dude. <laughs> yes you know iconic but yeah. there he's right back to it he's right back to it and uh you listen know? i think this movie is entirely tasteless and i i yeah man i like tasteless movies <laughs> <admittedly>. <laughs> <laughs> but like i like tasteless movies that are well written and the acting like people are trying to act you know mm. like it just i don't know i don't know like lizards berkeley is truly a bad actress but like Gina Gershwin's a good actress and Kyle McLaughlin's a good actor, but like the script is failing them in every scene. In my opinion. Yeah. You know, Apparently, Paul Verhoeven takes most of the credit. He's like, yeah, he's like, that was my bad. Like, I I what, you know, he states he, he encourages some of the overacting. Uh, who knows? Right. But I guess there are some scenes like that. They're trying to push for the satirical end and the cynical you know, evaluation of how like Esther Ralph says, like the movie shows that dancers are often victimized, humiliated, raped by men who are at the power centers of the world. And he, he basically was like, this is a movie that's supposed to show how awful and exploitive these, these women are treated. And it just ended up being goofy and over the top mm-hmm. and silly. And the satire is completely lost. So, I, it's, I don't think you can go back and reevaluate this one as other anything other than like the worst movie of his career. Mm. And it's it, and like and it bombed too. Like it was a forty-five million dollar budget made thirty-seven point eight million because the movie got an NC-17 rating. And this was the only first and only movie to get a wide release with an NC-17 rating. Um, <sighs> They, yeah. M- MGM hired people to go to theaters and make sure people weren't sneaking into it because they didn't want to <laughs> get the legal trouble because it was kids. Yeah. Then Esther House was like, anybody who's under the age of 17 should sneak into this movie and go watch it. And everyone, the MGM was like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> you could have gotten so much trouble. Uh, yeah. And of course this movie was picketed and protested constantly. And it was just like a huge mess. But well, like these other movies that were protested and controversial, they're actually pretty decent. This is not one of them. It's almost like you're given a reason the protesters are right. And that's never fun. <laughs> you know, <like> that's, <laughs> I don't want to side with the Catholics. You know, like yeah. <laughs> those guys It sucks. Um, yeah. It's just a mess. It's a mess of a movie. And it uh, should never have been made, really. Let's, let's really get down to it. Now, a movie that definitely should have been made and is fantastic is our next movie on the list, and that's Starship Troopers. Let's go. Woo! What a movie. Wow. Um, so this movie actually brings me back to film school because I had a screenwriting teacher who was my favorite teacher in, in, in college, and he loved this movie and he showed it to a classroom of kids who really everybody was talking about like why are we watching Star Troopers (laughs) like that was the the big (laughs) question at the time like the movie stinks like what's the deal and then I you know he sat down and it was the first time like I think I was able to analyze a movie and figure out like there's other shit going on that I I missed when I first saw it and it was the first time that I was like truly critical about a film and delve into it and figured out the little secrets that it held and it, it kind of opened a door for me, you know, like, Oh, you can do these things. You can, you can make these movies like this and they could be satirical and a lot of people can miss it and not get it, but it's still there. You know, that to me is fascinating and it makes me love movies really more. So you could argue that Starship Troopers makes me love movies way more you know, made me fall in love with them even more. It's very (laughs)
1: girls. Maybe not want to
0: watch movies anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Starship troopers. It's a very important movie. That's why I think it's number two for me under RoboCop. Um It made me realize that there are things going on sometimes that you can't, you don't always pick up on the first viewing. And it takes a little bit of a keener eye and a little bit of perception to figure that stuff out. Um, and, you know, what? what's the greatest feeling than watching or playing something or reading something and then you figuring it out as an audience member? You putting the yeah. pieces together, that's, I think, so important. And I think a lot of days, a lot of movies nowadays, that's gone. Like everything's face value and there's less to figure out. And that's sad to me. That's it's kind of breaks my heart. Uh, you watch a movie, and I, I'm not trying to shit on superhero movies. I do that enough. But like, overall, they're pretty shallow. There's not a lot going on under the hood like a movie like this. And, and maybe there are lesser movies because of that. That's the way I think about it. But um, Starship Troopers is, uh, obviously, Paul Verhoeven directed it, written by Ed Neumeyer. Uh, several critics leveled Verhoeven. Uh, accusations against Siegfried Verhoeven and Ed Newmyer as being Nazis when this movie came out. <laughs> oh man! And man, it, how could you you Yikes. miss the point like that? You know, uh, why are you getting paid to review movies when you you miss it like <laughs> that? Um, yeah, there's uh, obviously this movie was reevaluated after it came out and it's a fucking classic or not a classic but at least a lot deeper than it anybody ever assumed it was um, and almost half of its budget was attributed to CGI it was, a, it was like one of the okay but good versions. CGI man Great like, for the time especially I mean yeah Chris I, I'm sure you'd be the best but uh I'm assuming it holds up absolutely uh yeah. it the bugs in general like the Clint on Clendathu on, on, on P um, everything looks visceral and looks like they're interacting with something that's actually in the scene with them. Uh, man, there's so many instances nowadays where that is not the case. And it's frustrating <laughs> to watch those yeah, easy yeah. movies exist. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, However, you know, we'll get into the, the money uh, aspect of it, too. Box office, $121 million. It was a budgeted fill of $100 million, So it didn't blow things up at the box office because people, critics ravaged it. and People did not get it when it first came out. Um, the final script used George W. Bush's tenure as uh, the governor, the no con- gun control, excessive capital punishment type of governor in Texas as an influence for a fascist society, not knowing it's fascist, which I think is the whole crux of the movie, you know, what, what, what an entire fascist society know that they're evil fascist. No, they're living their life. They think this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 their society, their institutions support that <laughs> and bolster these people. They make them bigger and, and important aspects of, of their society. So, you wouldn't know. And um, there's a few things I picked up on this rewatch too that kind of made me like, hmm, hmm. Now, how did you not catch this when you saw it? Like, first of all, A, when they're in boot camp, all the training is not done with bugs, like bug dummies or models. Yeah. Fighting they're fighting against people in boot camp. Everything's people. They're people, batches of people they are fighting each other. To me, my, my you know, big stretch moment of of analyzing this movie would be that there was a war and they were fighting each other for a long time. I'm sure the fascists were fighting some sort of resistance and they snuffed them all out. They're all dead now and it's only the fascists that are left and they, they were training for war, but they weren't training for war against bugs. They were, I mean, not in that movie. Obviously they're going to Klandathe and fight bugs. But before that, their army they're was fighting, fighting everybody. They're fighting everybody. They're fighting people. They're killing their own people to make sure that this fascist worldview is accepted throughout the whole world. And they obviously failed. The resistance failed. There's nobody left to fight against the fascists. They are the only people that exist on this planet at the moment. The other thing I found really interesting is in the beginning of the movie, they focus on the fact that they have this space defense system that was supposed to shoot meteors that got too close to the, to the planet. The meteors were... Uh, coming from Klendathu, from the, the mother bugs that were producing these things, sending them out in space. Well, but Buenos Aires gets destroyed by one of those meteors. But they say this is the the best technology that we have to protect against the Earth is are these space defense forces that destroy these meteors. So that makes me think it's like it's like the the conspiracy for for Pearl Harbor that we knew the attack was coming. And we didn't do anything about it, and we let it happen to get people angry, so they go fight a war. It's a false flag, yeah. And that makes so much sense, you know. And Chris, I saw Pearl Harbor. None of that was in (laughs) there. That was a love story. Well, they had radar back then, and they saw. (laughs) Oh, they were like, "Oh, it's a flock of birds." Yeah, give me a break. It was a fucking fleet of Japanese bomber planes coming to Pearl Harbor. So, like, you know. There's a false flag moment there, and, and they're trying to drum up support for because like a lot of the people on planet Earth, like like uh Rico's parents, they're like, Why would you go fight some bugs on another planet? Like, well, why would you do that? That's stupid. Go to Zegama Beach. Go to Zegama Beach. You got your tickets to Zegama Beach, the Outer Rings, Devin. Oh, been,
1: all have about you been about those
0: outer rings, dude. And you know, Rico was considering it. He was like, "Yeah, this sounds pretty good. I always wanted to go to the outer rings." And then fucking planets Ares gets destroyed. God, well, he was so dumb too. Rico, he's an idiot. Everybody's an yeah. idiot in this movie. I mean, I mean yeah, but I mean like idiots. Rico. Rico's like his test scores are terrible. Everybody's a moron. Like they're all fucking morons. That's kind of the fun part, except for like Kurt. You know, uh, and Neil Patrick Harris's character. Yeah, because he's evil, man. Yeah,
1: truly, just becomes a full-on psychic Nazi by the end of the movie.
0: He's Uh, wearing like SS leather jacket, shit. Like, uh, dude, no, that scene where he's like, "It's afraid," and they all cheer is like such a moment that nobody—not nobody, but like everybody—just like doesn't get. Like, imagine Devin, you know, scenario where you and Steve are fighting these bugs, Mm -hmm. and I come out. I'm an intelligence. And you, guys, you come up to me, Devin, and you're like, listen, man, these fucking, you killed a lot of people. A lot of people died on Klendafu. You fucked that up. The intel was wrong. And I say, listen, people, we aren't fucking playing games here. People are going to die. I'm going to send them to death. Like, Would you look at me differently if I said something like that to you? Would you kind of hate me and resent uh, me a little bit? Man, I don't know. I think, you know what? He
1: speaks... He says what everybody's too afraid to say. Yeah, but Kevin I'm like the Rico of the podcast, remember?
0: I'm, I'm like specifically talking down to you. Like, that's what yeah. that scene is. He's like, listen, boys and girls. That's what he said. He talks to them. <laughs> like we we're going to die. People are going to die. Like, it's very cold. And he's not acting at all like he was when they were friends. It's hanging out yeah. in the house with his ferret. You know, like he's just sitting in there being indoctrinated, dude. <laughs> oh, wow it's really great. And you know, there's a lot of parallels with this and soldier of orange too, because it's like a group of friends. They all split up. They all go in different aspects and arms of the military to go fight. And they lose like contact with one another. They lose love with one another. They split up and that's a big component of the movie. There's love triangles that Mm -hmm. really, that work relatively well in the movie. Um, and it's just, they go through all this pain and all the suffering. People die for a fake war against bugs that don't want to fight them. That's the basic plot. They don't want to be killed. The brain bug's terrified of them. They want, to, he, the brain bug wants us to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, man, it's, I never, it's funny because Starship Trooper is, has, I was a very big fan of the animated show and Starship Troopers obviously is like one of the first sci-fi space marine. I think might be the first like of your hey, what's a space marine in a big mech suit, right? Basically like that, yeah. that is the uh the Starship Troopers, you know, team. And I don't know how those books end up. Like, I don't know if they're as um, you know, uh, as you talk about the Robert Heinlein book, search. Yeah, right. The original novel, right? I don't know if that's as you know, satirical as the no. movie ended up being, no. right? No. Yeah, it's like a nope. it kind of just ends up being like a hardcore Robert Heinlein is sci-fi a sci-fi book, right? Is a is a fascist. Like Okay, is, yeah, he's I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> he's a goddamn Nazi. And like Paul Verhoeven like uh, Ed Neubauer read the the book, the guy who wrote this story. And Paul, he's like, here, read the book. What we're adapting. Paul was like, sure, I'll read it. He said, you got two chapters in. He's like, this fucking sucks. He's like, this is written by a fascist. Fuck this guy. Like, I had to deal with these assholes when I was a kid in the Netherlands. Like, fuck him. We're making, we're making fun of this book. Yeah. That's what our goal is. We're going to satirize it. And if it wasn't for Verhoeven, this movie would have been just a straightforward action movie with killing bugs and shit. Like, yeah. He added that level of satire and how fucking dumb everybody is. Because he said that, like, he watched Triumph of the Will by Lenny Riefenstahl and, like, Olympus. And he's like, what I noticed was a bunch of blue-eyed, blonde-haired idiots all standing in front of the camera, smiling, like, everything's fine, but they're murdering people, (laughs) you know? Like, yeah. That's the aspect that he wanted to capture in this movie, and he hired a lot of actors that were fucking stupid. <laughs> 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 Let's be honest, like Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards, fucking son of Busey, like these people aren't smart, and uh, it fits the movie really well, really well. Um, yeah, I you know I got some more facts, but I we're getting close to like three hours, so I'm gonna. Push through and go on to the next film. Uh, Star Troopers Rotten Tomatoes score 71%. Audience score 70%. 1997. Runtime 129 minutes. Okay, so we move on uh, to Hollow Man, which... I remember liking it. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good movie at all. Uh, Oh, nuts. It's got like the... Bad dialogue problem that mm-hmm. some of these Verhoeven movies have. Um, it's got some really lame supporting characters in it. What's bad lines of dialogue? It's it doesn't really have much of an explanation how like a narcissistic scientist goes to becomes a homicidal maniac. I guess it's just like I I always wondered that because like you know they always do right. That's all point of the Invisible Man, but it's like. I guess it's like, oh, I guess you just like man is just naturally evil.
1: I guess if you were invisible.
0: You would be a huge piece of shit. And that's Verhoeven, right? That's how yeah. he feels people, how he looks at people. But like you need in a movie, you need a little explanation. You need a little bit of why is this guy a maniac now when he was just an asshole before? Like it's there's a big jump. And, you know, they try, they barely try to explain that it's the process of turning invisible that causes this aggression. That's in, like, apes and dogs. (laughs) Like, you would think human beings have a little bit more of a mental faculty. Yeah. And again, that cynicism comes through. And it's Verhoeven being like, oh, we're all fucking animals and we all want to eat each other, basically. And... It... I wish that was expressed a little bit more in the film. It wasn't just me picking it up from watching other Verhoeven movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I don't think this movie is developed enough. I don't think the script is developed enough. There's a lot of cool ideas. The CGI looks amazing. Yes, it um, does. Yeah. And then the way they did it was really fascinating too. It's was like, apparently the production had used three different color body suits for, um, for bacon in various scenes. So green was for blood. Whenever he was covered in blood, they would use a green bodysuit. Whenever there was smoke in a room, it was a blue bodysuit. He was moving through the smoke and black was for water. And he had to wear like an entire bodysuit, but he also had contacts, a face mask and dental plates that were all the same color. And he was wearing. And um, the big part of it is the coolest part is whenever they show him invisible and he's interacting with others, the camera's always moving. It's not a solid, like, the camera isn't, you know, on a, on a tripod. It's, it's, like, handheld, moving around, a character who's completely invisible but still moving and interacting. Like, really cool technical stuff. Uh, however, lost uh Visual Effects Academy Award to Gladiator. <laughs> uh, uh, now, I think I know why. I think I know why. I think okay. the, the obvious reason was because... One of the actors in Gladiator died during production and they, they digitally recreated him in the movie so he could finish the film, finish the character, could finish the movie. That's the only reason I could think of. Not those sick tigers. (laughs) They do look good. (laughs) They do. They do. They do look good. And it looks like they're interacting with them, which is pretty cool in the scene, you know, obviously they're not, but it looks like it. Um, yeah, I I feel like this should have won. You know, this is just it just looks too cool, and yeah, uh, visual there. But really, the movie itself is a pretty boilerplate thriller. You know, and I remember another um, you know, it's a dream sequence, but you know, another horrible rape. Oh God, that's really <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. I don't think it's technically a dream well, sequence in uh... the director's cut. Oh, god damn it <laughs> which i watched because it looks like he's actually going there and doing it okay because i do know what you're talking about theatrical cut it was a dream sequel yeah it's like it's like forcefully spreads the legs and then she wakes up at least that's my oh memory. no wait we're talking about something else there's another oh scene. god oh no there's another scene where he he's like ogling his neighbor yeah Who's like gorgeous? She's, I don't know the name of, course, of the actress, yeah. but she's fucking she's giant boobs. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a scene where he goes back as, as when he's invisible and rapes her. Uh, but they don't show it, it's like implied, uh, but still. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, it's icky. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, he's a narcissist, and I get it. He's, But there's no reasoning for him to go that nuts uh, other than people are all bad. Mm <laughs> hmm. That just doesn't work. Um, more than half the budget went to CGI. Of course, it was a ninety-five million dollar movie. It That's made a lot for a heart, like a pseudo horror thriller. I guess it's, it's you know it's all the just the the actual effects of making it. Yeah, movie, basically, yeah. uh, One hundred ninety point two million dollar box office. It definitely made a good deal of cash. Uh, holds a twenty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a twenty-eight percent audience score um it was shot in chronological order i don't like, why <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the reason was that they, they blew up the lab for real yeah. you know at the end they actually blew it up like they blew the real I get, up. yeah i get that you want to film that either first or last right but like <laughs> the rest of the movie i don't know why i don't know why I did that. Um, maybe he just has str- he struggles to follow it he's like alright we just gotta do this shit in I order just imagine it to be more ex- it'd be so much more expensive doing it that way But it is one location for most of it Okay, so maybe you know I guess that makes sense but I, I, I don't know um, Elizabeth Hsu tore her Achilles tendon during production hey, shut God. production down for seven weeks Jesus Christ uh, Yeah, there's always I mean I it's not, I can't call it coincidence anymore when there's always these injuries happening on sets. <laughs> like, they're always really bad. Like there's no quality control here <laughs> for the actors at yeah. all. Oh God. Yeah, that's, that's just, a, that's a, ugh, I just hate even like hearing that. She probably doesn't, can't like walk right anymore. Like. Used, yeah. That's like I mean, an athletic injury. Yeah. It's, it's serious. Um, it's one of the very few films that we're allowed to shoot in front of the Pentagon. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> oh, uh, production. You, oh, yeah. We talked about that. And that's about it, probably, man. I think that's year 2000. Came out in the year 2000. Okay. So let's move on to um, three very different movies um, that, that Ver, Verhoeven has made. And this is his most recent films. Uh, the first being Black Book. Uh, directed by Verhoeven, written by Gerard Stoatman, who comes back, uh, and Verhoeven himself. This was the first film that Verhoeven made in his native Netherlands since The Fourth Man. So he went hmm. back to the Netherlands to make this. Um, small uh, small budget and box, uh, budget 21 million, box office 27 million, uh, 76% of Rotten Tomatoes, 87% uh, audience score. Um, Black Book is basically a, a story, uh, a fictional story about a Jewish woman in the Netherlands who is uh, de- dealing with the Nazis occupying the Netherlands. So very similar to Soldier of Orange. She ends up uh, being able to kind of sneak in and, and hide amongst the Nazis because she's a credible voice and she's gorgeous. Uh, she's played by Chris Van Alten who was the uh, Red Witch in Game of Thrones.
2: Mm, a okay. very
0: beautiful woman. Um, she's a good actress, too. She, she really makes a movie. This just didn't... like. This is too much like Soldier of Orange for me to really love it. It's almost like he like remade his old movie. Kind of, yeah. That's what it, this feels like. But with, I think, a more interesting lead I think, than Rucker Hauer, I, I think. And she ends up Basically, uh, surviving the best way she can throughout uh, Nazi-occupied Netherlands, doing some you know shady shit, you know sleeping with the enemy, uh, seducing uh, Nazi o- officers, and she's considered to be a uh, a collaborator, but she's really somebody who's who's trying to get the fuck out and survive. Yeah. And there's a movie where there aren't really that many great people you know good people she's very gray as a character she does a lot of things that are <laughs> fucked up to survive but you know it's the circumstances that she was put in and then the very end of the film she ends up in a kibbutz in israel and uh, there's bombing you know the the it, i think it was like the seven day war starting the end of the movie
2: <sighs> uh, so
0: she, can't, she can't get away from it you know like yeah constant strife um it's okay movie. It's it's I liked it. I didn't necessarily love it. Um, it was yeah uh, nominated for a BAFTA, but failed to be nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, three times more expensive than any Dutch film ever made in 2008. It was voted the best Dutch film ever made. It's that simple. Okay. Although not a true story, there are events in it that are true, based on uh, both Verhoeven's life and uh, Gerard Stoutman's life, who both lived during the Nazi occupation. Um, both Verhoeven's health problems and a inability to secure funding delayed production for a good period of time. And uh, it won a shitload of golden caps, which are the Dutch equivalent of the Academy Awards. So they love that guy, man. They really do. I mean, understandable. I mean, yeah. all these movies are gorgeous. Even the ones I don't like. Even Showgirls looks good. Like It's a well-shot movie. So... Technically, everything's there. Um, All right. So our next film, second to last, is Ellie or Elle. Uh, This movie shocked me. This is the surprising one. Okay. I I actually really like this. Um, It's directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by David Burke. Uh, Basically, this plot of this is a uh, CEO, a woman CEO of a video game company gets raped in her home. It's the opening scene of the movie. Now they are saying, hey, Chris, I thought you didn't like rape scenes. I like rape scenes with the point because okay, yeah. the whole movie is kind of uh, on the crux of that scene. It's And it's her reaction to being raped. She's very cold. She's very unempathetic. Um, she's a woman in a male-dominated occupation, which is video games. The video game scenes aren't terrible. They actually look pretty competent. They're talking about working with Activision. They get their game off the ground. Like they, somebody did some research. Yeah,
1: somebody knows what
0: they're. You know, is this ain't uh, hundred and one Dalmatians the live action? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know it's grandma's boy about yeah. video games where it doesn't wow. make any sense. God, I Fucking hated that. You would <laughs> love it? Why you like video games? I will kill you. <laughs> this is the, the dumbest video game movie ever made. <laughs> um, this is legitimate, and it like the video game. The job, her job, it's not obviously the main focus in the movie but it kind of gives you an aspect to her character because she has to deal with a lot of testosterone, a lot of men telling her what's right. And she's usually right. Like she's a good business minded person. And who knows like, Hey, you need to make that scene a little bit more gory when the goblin breaks in and rips (laughs) that guy apart. And she's like, well, you need to bring this character back and, and cement him because you're going to be playing as him in the second half of the game. Like she's, thinking yeah. about it, it a little bit deeper than a lot of the other people around her. And that gets her trying like being paranoid about the man around her because they don't like her. They don't yeah. like that. She's there. And she thinks that one of them was, is the rapist, but Oh, you're never okay. quite sure who it is until, you know, a point in the movie and then you find out. Um, so there's that mystery aspect to it. And then her reaction to that is sickening. It's sad. And, without emotion and it's weird it's fucking weird but it's cool <laughs> it's very it's it feels human it feels like that's a real person this is happening to um yeah and and isabella Hoopert, i think is her name Huppert. she's fantastic in this she's really good and she's the the lead and basically the crux of the story um Yeah, I really like this. I it won the Golden Globe for best foreign film. It was nominated or won a Critics' Choice Award for the same category. Um, And Isabel Huppert was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actress of that year. Um, Emma Stone won. It was twenty sixteen for La La Land. Okay. Okay. Um, Verhoeven was attracted to the project because it was something very different than anything he's ever done before. Uh, originally was going to take place in Boston or Chicago, but due to influence on themes of the film, decided to shoot in Paris. Uh, he didn't want to deal with American production companies. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> blame really, him. That's really what it came down to. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes scored ninety-one percent, audience score seventy-three uh, percent, box office twelve million, budget nine. Years uh, twenty sixteen, runtime one hundred and thirty minutes. Check it out. I I really dug it. It's very where'd simple. You, uh, where'd you catch that one at? Oh, I found it. Okay. Yeah, I had to find that one. It doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> Most of these movies don't, except for like the popular ones. Uh, yeah. yeah. I could find it. Um, and the last film of the night uh, is Bendetta. And uh, this was made pretty recently, 2021, two years ago. It was directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by David Burke. Uh, same crew and producer as *L*. Um, also, a Rotten Tomato score of 91%, audience score 73%, uh, box office 4 million, budget 21 million. So, lost a good deal of money. Mm. Um, was in competition for the Palme d'Or during Sundance. Um, it was based on the controversial nonfiction book titled Immodest Acts The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy. Yeah, I remember hearing about this primarily because it's like the Sexy Nun movie. That's kind of all I remember well, vaguely hearing about. Devin, you ever say to yourself, man, you know, in a movie, you know what's missing that I've never seen before? Jesus with the vagina. Yeah, you know what? I, I can't say I've seen it. So, guess what, bro? Here it is. <laughs> Enjoy. All right. Um, this is a crazy movie. It's, it's not just about a lesbian nun. She, that's of course part of it, but she is a nun in a, uh, uh, monastery and she's having intense visions of the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ. And she is talking in tongues. She is, uh, has stigmata at one point where she has blood on her hands and on her forehead, which is the sign of stigmata. Uh, She wakes up that way out of nowhere. And it's of course the the church being like, well, you're crazy. That's not real. You can't be having visions, even though everybody in that fucking book they read has them. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's like a a hypocrisy. It's obviously the patriarchy at the time, really kind of controlling women, keeping the nuns from ever speaking up. And then it's uh, becomes a movie about the plague ravaging the uh italy and spain and bandetta her love and, and faith is what's keeping the city from over being overcome by the plague so there's maybe some truth in her visions and her connection to jesus and all this other junk junk that i couldn't give a fuck about to be perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not big into religious drama or, or thrillers or whatever i i don't particularly like them very much um yeah, I always just get frustrated with movies that are primarily about religion or religious characters. There's a few exceptions to that list, but really I I'm not never really interested. Like I like last temptation of Christ, but I like that because of the ending. It's fucking great. It's really yeah. interesting and fascinating, but, um, yeah, it's not really for me. It's not, not a movie for, for my tastes. Um, Yeah, due to possible controversy, the entire production was was uh, shrouded in secrecy. They didn't let anybody else on because they knew if somebody found out what they were making, there would be constant protests. Bullshit. Uh, And of course, protests surrounding screenings, mostly by Catholic groups. Uh, They're never happy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just, this is not the one I would remember him for, you know? Yeah, yeah. It might, it's a decent enough movie, but it's just not my cup of tea. Um, but that's the last movie of uh Paul Verhoeven filmography that he's done. Yeah, he's you he's did like, it, kicking. he's on the he's uh, up there, man. He's 72 or 75. 75, yeah, Goodness. he's still making movies. So he wants to make another one, he's got another one hey. on the pipe. He wants to make one about Jesus, and I'm like, oh god, oh, oh, no, man, god. well, I mean, hey. Robocop was kind of Jesus, that's what jokes, I was gonna say. You like, know? you made yeah. a movie about Jesus already, it's called Robocop, <laughs> <laughs> and it's sick. Man so. came back to life, you get second coming <laughs> of Christ. His name's Robocop. God, God, God is OCP. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. nowadays, G- God, yeah, that's the uh corporation of that America. That's this. true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, folks, that was uh, a deep dive into a pretty fantastic director with a mixed bag of films, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, Paul Verhoeven, if you haven't seen RoboCop, Total Recall, or Starship with Troopers, then get out from under the rock that's in your cave and come out and watch them because they're fantastic.
1: Get your ass to Mars.
0: Get your fucking ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to
1: Mars.
0: Um, my next... Uh, group of films that I'll be watching for Galani and Chill will be the Friday the 13th movies because I haven't watched those in a long time and I don't think I've seen everyone, so that'll be a fun little excursion. Not really looking forward to it too much, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Man, those movies suck so hard.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very curious as to which ones you're gonna be like, but like, (laughs) so,
0: so do most of the Halloween movies, you know.
1: Yeah, there's two yeah. good ones. Halloween yeah. starts strong, though. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the first one's great.
0: I I I did watch the first Friday Thirteenth movie already, and I was like bored out of my mind. No, yeah, yeah, that
1: that remember like Devin and I um a long time ago we watched the um the Nightmare movies, and we were like these are so silly and fun. Like you know yeah, Freddy's such a character. And then we tried to watch the Friday movies. I think we got three. The Friday end. movies. I'm sorry, not the Friday. The Friday the 13th <laughs> Those movies. Those, Those are, are fun. Those uh, And we were just like bored out of our minds. Like we couldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: We I think we made about three, and we we're like, this sucks. There's, you know, I'm gonna get into it more in the next podcast. But there's a scene where the harbinger of the movie, the guy that's like, don't go up to the camp. It's Camp Blood. Don't go there. He gets on his bike. And he like rides away, but that it stays on him for like two minutes, <laughs> like just riding awkwardly. <laughs> and I'm like, "Come on, you guys are just patting it, man!" Like classic <laughs>
1: New Jersey right there. I
0: know, right? Like mm-hmm. all the New Jersey signs, and that is—it's shocking, but it makes sense. You know, I get it. And everybody has like a New York or New Jersey accent in the movie, like. Let's go, baby. It fits. It fits mm-hmm. the, the environment. It Like that one town they're in kind of looks more like Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, like a small town in Pennsylvania. But, you know, I've seen shit like that in New Jersey too. Yeah. You know? So. Ah, yeah. So that's it. Uh, another night of Galani and Chill. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you the best. And go watch some violent nude nudity in Paul Verhoeven movies. Squids and boobs. Squids and boobs. Clamp shots too. (laughs) Good night.